podcast fam, there has been a lot happening in the world of investing these days, and we are bringing you an epic mastermind session with friends and previous guests that are in this space daily. Should you invest in individual stocks? Should you sign up and use apps like Robinhood? Why can forums like Reddit light Wall Street on fire? Should you jump into the world of cryptocurrency? Find out in today's episode, episode 140, a mastermind on investing, day trading, and cryptocurrency. Enjoy. You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go. Whoa. I wasn't sure if you were going to yeah. do it. Whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and my co-host is Michael Dees. What's going on? I know you're super excited for this one. We've been talking about it Pumped. for a little while. Pumped, man. After that episode with Reed, we kind of, you know, we're doing, talking about real estate, real estate investing and picking his brain on what stuff. What it's like to have AOL back in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were joking around about GameStop's, uh, GameStop yeah. stock at that time. And we kind of were like, man, the next mastermind should be on this. And we here we are. To, and here we are. So episode 140, you guys. I am pumped. So before we get into it, you guys, we have to thank our incredible sponsor, you guys, Collier's. Look at that, we even got Collier's cups, baby. Yeah, right, cheers, cheers <laughs> it up. Uh, podcast family, have you noticed those blue Collier's international signs all over Gainesville? Those are the signs of progress. GNV Commercial Advisors with Collier's Gainesville is the region's top commercial real estate team. When you need to buy or sell commercial land or buildings, find a space for your business or lease out a property you own, turn to the GNV Commercial Advisors. They close more than 60 deals a year, y'all. That's amazing. And let's talk real quickly about the coronavirus and how it's impacted your business. Maybe you've realized you need a different kind of office space or you have questions about your lease options. Or maybe you've been thinking about buying or selling a commercial property, but you're not sure when to act. Or maybe if you can buy and sell that property with cryptocurrency. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but call the GMV Commercial Advisors at Collier's Gainesville. They'll know. They have the expertise and the local experience to help you make the right decision for your commercial real estate needs. You guys, connect with our friends, the GNV Commercial Advisors at Collier's.com slash Gainesville. And thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, you guys, today on the show, we have four friends who are previous guests and investors here to talk about money, investing, crypto, and all the crazy stuff that's been happening out there on Wall Street, Main Street, and your street. <laughs> you fellas, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. <laughs> Glad to be here. You're like, who talks first? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, this is definitely a different different kind of format. You guys know our mastermind. We do these every 10 episodes. And uh, so what we'll do to start is like, let's just go around the table really quick, introduce you, your business, and then we'll dive into some investing and money stuff. <coughs> cool. Yeah, I guess I can go first. Um, Alex Quintero from GNV Entertainment slash Empower Media. Uh, I kind of got started here in Gainesville, cut my teeth in the entertainment scene as a DJ and then formalized that into a business and get blessed now to uh, not so much entertainment nowadays, but working with businesses and empowering them with online marketing, online events, and more actually recently podcast itself too. So just passionate about empowering people and that's what I do. Love it. Thanks. Awesome. I'm James DiVirgilio, co-founder of Chacon Diaz and DiVirgilio Wealth Management, a fiduciary firm. I've been on the podcast before, which we talked in depth about all sorts of financial <laughs> yeah, topics. We did. And then I'm also the co-founder and co-host of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Yeah. 
All right, Stephen Corson. Last time I was on here, I was getting ready to launch the podcast, The Stephen Corson Show. Very original name, I know. Uh, it took a lot of creativity for that one. Uh, so I have been in the corporate technology world for a long time, uh, long time following blockchain for years now. Uh, it's part of the reason why I'm here and uh, currently working for a billion dollar, uh, multi-billion dollar technology vendor and, uh, ha- and the founder of everything.money, the website. Nice. Cool. Uh, my name is Eric Linus Bunt. I own Bunt Backline Event Services. We do uh, audiovisual lighting uh, for all sorts of concerts, events, things that aren't happening right now, uh, <laughs> but all sorts of things. Um, and then I also I have a couple other interests. I own a, a piece of commercial property and uh, just bought into a bar today, actually and starting a food truck, and I've got way too many other things going on <laughs> to mention. Uh, You're like me, you wanna be involved in a lot of different everything. things. Yeah, yeah, I really, I, love that, dude. I have a million ideas and I wanna turn them all into businesses, and I should really <laughs> probably stick to one or two, but uh, my main one goes quite well, and I enjoy it, and then I, uh, I day trade and dabble in mostly options uh, as well. All right, cool. Yeah, so let's let's dive in that because I know a lot of our audience is probably hearing this and they're going, uh, so why did Colin invite these guys to be on the show? <laughs> I mean, obviously, pretty, you know, it's pretty obvious with a couple of you guys, but, you know, the other two just really being intra- entrepreneurs and, and but, you know, it kind of explain your individual story when it comes to investing. Is this just something that you picked up, you, you know, do on the regular, just, you know, why, why, why did I invite you here? Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's a good question, right? Maybe only one you can answer. But I think that's even part of, you know, why it's a better conversation. Because like myself, I don't come from the wealth industry or the financial management, you know, just kind of got into it a couple years ago, downloaded Robinhood like most people did as their first kind of platform and um, have ever since become obsessed with just making the money work for me, right? So I'm actually interested in hearing more from a wealth kind of management industry standpoint, how you guys see these things and, and all that. But yeah, just gotten into investing more is kind of a, a fun thing. Um, I'm a big believer in the long-term game, which you know is, is not maybe conducive to options and that sort of thing. But that's why I just like to preach to people and tell people goal-oriented over the long-term. So it's kind of where I come from and interested to see your guys' perspective on things as well. I guess we'll keep going in a circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that works. It's but, working so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why not? Uh, until it spirals out of control. <laughs> there you go. In the in the mid two thousands, I went to work for a Wall Street Sorry. firm coming out of grad school from UF, and then after the real estate bubble crashed, uh, I started my own firm in two thousand and nine, which was an interesting time to start a wealth management firm. It would, you know, one of the worst collapses. It was not a good money making time, but it was a great time to start a fiduciary firm, which that word is known to some of you probably not still known to all of you yet, but it was really unknown to most people back in 09. It's gained a lot of traction in the past decade. But you know, I started the firm because I believed heavily in investing and the impact it makes in all of our lives and really doing it in a way that legally bound my interests to my clients' interests so they knew that anything I said and did was in their best interest. And that felt like a really, like a really worthy thing to do. And so here we are now, you know, 11, 12 years later. Awesome. All right, so uh, I started my career, I graduated from the University of Florida and went to go work at a technology uh, research company called Gartner in 2009, January. So great time to actually have any kind of job (laughs) uh, because I, coming out of college, did not realize how bad the collapse was uh, and what that meant from an economic perspective. But over the next few years, as you know, you can, you know, saw the impact of it. 
um, I had realized that I was in an amazing position actually making a decent salary. I had virtually no living expenses. Uh, I still remember I had a brand new apartment down there. Uh, it was a three two and I was paying 250 a month in rent. Uh, and I still ask myself, where did my money go? <laughs> because I don't, I don't know what I spent it on. But anyway, um, that was actually the start um, of my investment journey because I realized when I graduated, I didn't know a damn thing about money. And um, you know, despite you know going through college, all this this other stuff, and uh, about 2010, 2011, I realized that I was missing out on some massive investment opportunities. And at that point, I just started reading everything I possibly could, learning about the stock market, how the economy works, different things like that, because uh, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss out on any obvious investment opportunities that were slapping me in the face um, ever again. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And um, another reason why I think I'm here that is a little relevant, uh, I actually have a um, probably a pretty decent understanding of the technology of blockchain and how it works. Uh, which is what crypto is essentially founded on. So for me, I got into the crypto world specifically uh, probably back in uh, late 2016, early 2017, um, because it was a hot topic on the corporate level and uh, blockchain in general, you know, is has been something that's been a buzzword there for a while and will continue to be very disruptive. So that's uh, kind of my story. Cool. I'm super fascinated by blockchain. I hope we get more into that personally. Um, but I, so I probably two, three years ago, 2017, 2018, um, I don't know if I just hit a point where like, I, I think things were finally starting to smooth out a little bit business wise, where I wasn't having to think 24 seven about my production company, about my business. And I don't know if it was like mental boredom or what, but basically I can't stop. Uh, like I don't watch Netflix and stuff at night. Like I, I study, I read things, I do things. And so at some point, I think I saw like a YouTube video, one of the guys that's like, hey, wanna make a gazillion dollars? One of those type of deals. <laughs> and I watched the video and I didn't, you know, I knew that was BS. Like I knew that they were selling a stupid thing. Um, but it, like I, I think it referenced options in that. And I was like, what is an option? And so I kind of went down this rabbit hole of YouTube videos. And uh, I think at that point, that night, probably on my phone, I opened a little TD Ameritrade account. I put like a hundred bucks in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started like super micro trading with it. And I tried paper trading, but that I could never keep up with that. Like when I had actual money, even if it was a hundred dollars, I would still like check it every day. And so I started doing that and it just, became something that kind of consumed me like every day morning and night I would check on it a couple times through the day um, had a couple like good size wins just stock trading um, you know good size I mean like a hundred dollars and then I made like three hundred dollars on a hundred dollar trade and it's yeah. like oh my gosh three hundred percent gains this is amazing and uh, did that for a little bit uh, basically I've been flat for years now just kind of trading like that and then uh, early last year when the pandemic hit, I was still just trading with like a couple thousand dollars and I'd, um, mostly it was little options contracts like, hey, Apple's looking like it's, you know, there's lots of reasons why Apple's uptrending, so I'm gonna buy an options contract for an expiration a couple months out because, you know, I think it's going that direction. Just calls and puts, no fancy, you know, you can get into butterflies and iron condors and all these other strategies with options. <laughs> Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> like, I'm a, what? Yeah, it's totally fine. I'm actually just now getting into some of that to a degree to hedge. But anyway, that's I, I was just buying options contracts, which is a lot like buying and selling stocks. They just move a lot faster. Um, 
which is a little dangerous because it becomes a little bit like gambling in some ways because you because it can really I mean I had a contract the other day I bought 10 contracts and it went for two grand and it was at like 10 grand five minutes later now it'll plummet equally as fast so you you know it's a very fast game um, so I just really kind of got addicted to that and trying to trying to actually figure out what was causing things to move and so I've just I mean every day I think I watched an hour of stuff this morning after I dropped the kids off at school before I went to my real job. And so I'm still, you know, I'm just part-time. So have you figured it out? I haven't figured (laughs) it out, no. No, but I mean, my goal um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, similar to your business, our business screeched to a halt. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had uh, March 12th, we had 67 phone calls for cancellations for what is normally our busiest season, like quarter million dollars in business, like devastating type of business day. and I was like, you know what? Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could, you know, I'm not going to burn any more money than it's already in that account. But maybe I could, you know, make an extra forty, fifty thousand dollars a year doing this part-time side trading. And um, so I had a pretty good year. I didn't quite make that, but I did make close to it. Dang. And so um, a large part of that was I was able to focus more attention on it. But right. no, I definitely, I don't feel like anyone who tells you like I've been trading for two years and I've got it all figured out is either super lucky or they're just an idiot talking <laughs> like that's it's not a thing more it the latter than the years. former I think yeah all right, most so. people won't show you their portfolio <laughs> yeah they just talk about it so this is why I'm kind of excited about this episode because I think it can help a wide variety of listeners right um, I'm probably more on the dumb end <laughs> because like I literally got into so uh, like I guess it depends on how you look at it. You know, back in twenty, back when I was twenty-one years old, like I opened up, you know, a Roth IRA, right? I started maxing that out every year, and that's been that's been growing wonderfully, and and like very much the focusing just on the long-term game, right? But then when all this pandemic stuff happened, and there was no sports, and there was there was like really nothing, I was like, I, I did have this inkling and I was right, I should have held on to the stock, but I went, you know what? Everybody and their mom is going to be on Zoom. So let me go buy a share of Zoom stock, and it was like it was like 130 bucks, and now it's like four, it's over 400 dollars. Uh, and I sold it way too soon, but I think I sold out like 190 or something. But that got that got you know I was like, all right, let me download this this app that I heard called Robinhood. Let me buy this share of stock. And so I did it, and then like two weeks later, I had like 18 grand, and <laughs> like from just I'm like, oh, I got I got addicted, right? I'm like oh, this is fun. Like I kept putting more and more and more money in it. Now I've pulled all that out and don't have anything in there really. Um, but, and then I like messaged Mike and we started an investing yeah. private channel on our Slack and we're like sharing notes, right? <laughs> like, and we just kind of got hooked. Yeah. And I would say that Mike, like you can speak to this. I, I feel like you're more hooked than I am now. I feel like I kind of like got you into this and now you're like really into it. Yeah. Cause you're checking every day, right? Oh yeah, I, I check it religiously. Um, so, I mean, my, my whole thing started back when I was in sixth grade playing the stock market game. And that was like literally cracking open the newspaper and finding stocks to see how they closed the day before, which I think is pretty archaic to a lot of people that might be listening to this. Um, and then uh, once the internet came about, there was an AOL channel where you could go and buy fake stocks and just monitor it. And so I always had a passive interest in it. But yeah, it was around May of... 2020 that you got me to download Robinhood just so you could get a free stock out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted the free stock. And uh, little did I know that um, I would get, you know, 
slightly addicted to it. And and at first it was just um, here. Let me let me put. Uh, I, if I'm honest, I don't have residual income, but however much I can, if I can maybe not go to the bar as much, let me throw that bar money out here and, and throw it in something like Tesla or, or just, you know, have fun with it and, and learn a little bit. And um, one of the, the interesting things that came about that was, was three days after I first downloaded it, I found this penny stock and I, I just kind of laughed it off and just bought it with change, whatever I had left over the account, but I kept it in my little watch list on Robinhood. And I watched it go from about 32 cents to 20 cents to 16 cents to eight cents. And I just kept watching it. Um, and I saw what it, had, what it had, uh, had its IPO at maybe three or four years ago. And it was 20, 30 bucks. And so it's kind of, it started this parabola back up. And then I was just, as I watched it go down to eight cents back up to 16 cents or so, I'm like, oh, why, why is this ticking back up? I started doing due diligence in the company. I see that they're getting ready to launch this main um, diagnostics. So I started getting really into researching the company that I was watching. And then so I was like, hey, for, for fun, let's just put all my money into it. And that 16 cents uh, went up to about a dollar um, three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my first like 600% gain and I was like, this is awesome. Um, He's like, come rich, Colin, I put it in my yeah. two weeks, yeah. see ya. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was my first of two 600% gains mm -hmm. that I've made in one month of trading, except I also had the down the downside of that too. I, I, I wrote, it, <laughs> wrote it through the plummet as well. So I'm uh, on my way back up a third time. <laughs> Uh, but but learning, I think I, I'd like to think I'm learning more. I got I did get caught up in the whole, um, and I know we're gonna gonna get into it, but the whole GameStop, AMC, the the short squeeze attack that happened with the Wall Street bets, uh, Reddit accounts, and stuff like that. I actually got into AMC, and that was my my second ride up. Um, did you ride that one down too? I rode that one all <laughs> yeah. the way back down. Yeah, they always diamond hands, down. diamond hands. I kept hearing, you know, like, oh, the short squeeze is gonna happen, and I'm like, I'm here for it. He's in it for the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. So well, I was short on GameStop when it was 35 bucks before it went parabolic, and uh, but fortunately, I was short with puts with options. So you are limited. You can only lose as much as your options contracts are worth. Um, so my max loss I could possibly take out was like 10 contracts, was like five grand. So um, I actually, uh, I stopped myself out at $2,500 loss. I was like, this is ridiculous, because it kept hitting 40, and that was kind of its resistance for a little bit. And then come back down, I was like, all right, now's my time, here we go, now we're going down to 20, because that's where it should have gone. And it kept doing it, and it was after the, like, the <laughs> third time, and it was starting to break 40, I was like, this is bizarre. I'm out. Like, okay. I can't do because this Because then so, the social movement. So there's probably... <laughs> I'm glad I got out. There's probably a handful of people who don't know what we're talking about right now. Um, most people probably do if you were anywhere in, on social media. Like, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, but I know that you two specifically, James and Steven, like, had made some, like, posts around it on, on social media. And why, why don't you, one of you two, or, like, both of you kind of chime in and kind of explain... You know what happened? <laughs> Just well, James, if you want to talk about the stock, I'll actually talk about what I think happened socially. Uh, if you want to split it like that, sure. I mean, well, what what happened is something that's happened before, <laughs> just in a different manner of things. And, and you know, like we talked about, the stock market in the short run is is truly gambling. If you're looking at 30 days, 40 days, it, it is not a, a source of value. Warren Buffett's famous for saying that he's totally right. And because of that, if you know half the table decides that we think a stock is going down and the other half thinks it's gonna go up, uh, and we can convince a bunch of people to agree with our side, we can theoretically put a lot of pressure on them. They might keep buying the position, you know, uh, et cetera. 
that's essentially what happens in a short squeeze is, you know, what happens, right? Wall Street Bets finds out that this big, evil, greedy hedge fund has got this short position on GameStop and they're putting a lot of pressure on How GameStop How do they find stock. that information out? Well, it's, it's, it's public record. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's public record in a public company. To publish their position. So you yeah. can see every month they publish what they have and what they're shorting and what they're longing. And so they know it. And they, okay, look, let's let's get these guys. They're putting pressure on the downward price. And we can talk about short selling, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. But for the story purpose, that's putting downward pressure on the stock price. And if you're able to drive the price up, you put pressure on the hedge fund. Because in order for the hedge fund to maintain that position, they have to keep putting more and more and more money in. And it's an exponential curve. So if they're short, if they're short a million dollars, and you can get the price to go up four or five hundred percent, they're going to wind up owing the brokerage firm that they're holding the money with, you know, a thousand percent because they're on margin. It costs them money to borrow short. So basically, that's what happens, right? It's a exponential curve. They essentially bankrupt them effectively, but then they come in and get capital from the outside to help keep themselves alive, knowing that in the long run, which for them was about a month, that stock was going to come back down if they could simply outlast, you know, this sort of bump up then it would come back down and they'd survive, which is what happened. Uh, but short squeezes are not uncommon. Big hedge funds have gone against each other frequently trying to do this to each other. And at the end of the day, if you're doing it with a sane mind, you're doing it because you're betting on what you think the actual price may be 20, 30, 45 days from now, not what you're gonna talk about, which is what the social media and the Redditors thought, let's just get these guys. We'd, we're not looking at any time frame. we're just gonna get them, which, almost worked and we can talk about why it did so you said like this kind of thing has happened before right but not in this it happens all the time but not in this capacity when not with using micro investors putting you know millions of people coming in on one company and so who's the one like it's uh, the other hedge funds that are normally making large positions sure or or anyone who thinks hey i think they're wrong and and i also think that if i put enough pressure on them i'll make them leave their position so if you play poker at all uh, you know, you can put pressure on your opponent by by increasing your bet size. Even if technically the math is like, this is not a, a home run play for me. Right. If I can put more pressure on him, knowing that his cards aren't that great, he might fold. And that's kind of the same idea. And therefore mm. you get big short-term gains if you can just put pressure on a weak position. So the, the boldness of what the Redditors did was remarkable because it wasn't <laughs> like they took on a hedge fund that was not well capitalized. Yeah. No. To execute yeah. that short squeeze to the level they did, was, which was why it was so historic. It was unbelievable that they're basically like throwing rocks at the Great Wall of China and then essentially knocking it down temporarily. Uh, well, which it is wasn't remarkable. the way the thing that was remarkable about it in from a social perspective was that market manipulation is real, right? And it's not a secret. But the thing is, most people are unaware of it because most people aren't in the stock market, right? But anybody who's been in there for a while, we understand that hey, you can manipulate the price of a stock just like people can manipulate the price of Bitcoin. Uh, if you have a large enough position in it. So it's, you know, there's a lot of things you can do there. But from a social perspective, what was very interesting, I, w- I was fascinated just reading a lot of the feeds, was that people were making, like, in, in, when I say retail um, users, uh, retail traders, just so everybody knows, a retail trader is just an, you know, everyday person like you and me. We're not part of like a large hedge fund or anything like that. So the retail, whether they were coming from, you know, Wall Street bets, which is where it started, 
Then you had the whole fiasco with Robinhood, the trading app happened. And, you know, they've come out with their explanations since then saying that, you know, it, it was actually a legal thing and there's still a bunch of crap behind everything that they're saying. There were canceled orders. There's a lot of different stuff. Yes, some of it was due to some, you know, legal and financial mumbo jumbo I won't get into. Um, but then the other side of it was the fact that there was just blatant fraud here. There really was. Mm-hmm. And what happened was when that kind of became mainstream, when they, at, at the even if everything Robinhood did was on the up and up, the thing that they are severely guilty of is is a terrible job at PR. Okay. <laughs> so thoroughly, thoroughly explain what Robinhood did. So what Robinhood did was as the price went up, Robinhood is a free trading app, right? So how do they make money? They make money on the back end by uh, handling the processing and transactions of some of these larger head funds, some of which that were involved in GME, um, the Game Suck Stock and AMC. And then they also make it by taking, and this is why you shouldn't have Robinhood anyway, even prior to all this and why I never recommended it. When you buy a stock, they they sell that your position. If you go to buy a stock for $2 a share, they're selling that to a fund at that price point and then when you process the transaction, essentially, you might get it back for $2.05, right? So they are selling your bid and you are paying more, but you don't realize that. So by the time you click the button on a stock and it says $2 on it, before it, you know, a a term they call latency, the time between when you press the button, all the fluctuations that are happening on the price, the time they go back, you know, sell it to somebody at at one of these funds and then they buy it and it comes back to you, even though you actually bought it at $2, you're getting it for $2.05. Now that may not seem like a big deal, Mm -hmm. but over time it's huge and it's giving an unfair advantage to, you know, these hedge funds. But at the end of the day, that's how they make money. That's the price of admission to use their platform platforms since they're not charging you for any trades, right? The other big thing, and this is a, we can get into this a little later, but on the crypto side, you do not own the crypto. So if you buy Ethereum, Bitcoin, Dogey, whatever it is, you do not actually have a wallet for that in Robinhood like you would if you were using something like Coinbase or Binance or any other platform for it. And that's huge because that's the entire point of crypto is for there not to be a middleman. Well, they are acting as a middleman and they actually hold it, but they reflect the balance in your account. So anyway, I digress. But back to the point on the social movement, what was interesting is when Robinhood did this and the market manipulation that you know people outside of the financial industry really didn't know about became aware of it, it caught fire on the news platforms people all of a sudden who didn't care about stocks were going in and buying it and it literally became a hill to die on and people didn't and this was the most astounding thing you had people who were posting pictures of their portfolios up a thousand percent two thousand percent they've got tens of thousands of dollars all they got to do is sell it and they wouldn't do it we're in the like, middle like robin hood wouldn't let them no, 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 no. They chose not to. Oh, they chose, they chose not, not to. Now, now Robinhood did for a very short period not allow people to trade, but that that's just kind of what initially got them in trouble and they handled that. Right, PR that was like a, that was a big thing because it was. That's what you made it catch fire. Sell. You, you, could, you, could, you could sell, fire. but they wanted they wanted you to sell. Yeah, that's, they wanted that to was drive the, the price thing. back down. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't let you buy, and they also canceled people's pre-existing orders that they had. 
So, like I said, there's a whole bunch that went into what they did. But at the end of the day, it was rotten and it was to help the and then you had the government coming in. And I don't remember if they actually did anything, but even the government was getting ready to bail these guys out. Well, my question to everybody listening is, (laughs) hey, have you got your twelve hundred dollar check yet? Um, (laughs) Because that's taking months. Well, guess what? The government was ready like that to bail out these hedge funds if they needed to. And they were close to it. Right. So. That just kind of shows you how you can't really rely on these systems in and of your own. Yes, it's important to play the game, excuse me, but it's just socially, it was this kind of awakening for people to see that this isn't what we thought it was, right? Now, don't get me wrong, it's still a great system. I still heavily endorse it, but yes, there's manipulation out there. So all that being said, from a social movement perspective, that was the most amazing thing to me was the fact that you had people with tens of thousands, some of them hundreds of thousands of dollars that they had earned in weeks, some of them overnight, and they weren't selling. Yep. The only reason that I found from reading everything that I could see is this was just a big middle finger to stick to, it to the man. To stick it to the man. That was it. It was anger <laughs> left over from 2008, yeah. whether it was direct or indirect, people seeing the jobs that were lost. Nobody went to jail for the collapse of it. And it, this was them going, hey, I forgot his name. I think it was uh, Cooperman, one of the billionaires on uh, one of it. He was literally crying on CNBC <laughs> and everybody was posting the stuff. Way too much yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was so and much. Was everybody like, loved it. They're like, oh, poor guy picking on me has to sell his third yacht. So I don't want to spend like, that was pretty much it. I don't want to spend too much time on like the social media or the social side of this, like in terms of Reddit, because I, I think we'd have an entire podcast about that alone. But like it's still it, like it's still crazy to me that there is that tight of a community on a platform like Reddit, where ever like how many people had to go? All right, I'm in. Everybody go buy the stock. So eight million. Mm-hmm. Eight yeah. million people at that. Had at that yeah, at Wall Street's bet, like absolute peak. You know, probably two weeks into the GameStop mania, they reached eight million subscribers, up from one million at the beginning of January first. But year. how many people like do you think actually went and bought? those particular stocks. Well, cons- of- well, considering the fact that Robinhood can do like fractional mm-hmm. shares and all that, I mean, if you go on these threads, and that's what was the most like fascinating part about all this of me is again, I'm not an industry guy or anything, but like you go on these threads and you read after hours and the community that's going on, like you got people cheering themselves on for holding Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hold the line, man. Hold the line. Take It was It's absurd. It's absurd. It really was. Yeah, like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in profit just sitting on it. And these then are you people have Elon who, Musk get involved, yeah, which well, just king of the nerds, right there, well, right? So like, <laughs> the the reason I mean I think so many people latched onto it is because of how universal that message is, though. Because you got to keep in mind, it's hmm. eighteen to twenty five year olds too. Is that these are the people who maybe their parents lost everything hmm. in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Right. Like so, it doesn't necessarily matter to them that they're sitting on all these profits. These are the people who watched these Wall Street billionaires raining champagne down on the Occupy Wall Street protesters, right? Yeah. So I think that the message became more than just profit and became more that it really became like, this is how we get back for everything that they did, they did to us. I think it's also, so the other thing that I noticed and when you were talking about um, that before the social movement, so the thing that I've noticed since the beginning of the pandemic, which was also when I, so I had been trading before that, but that's when I really like picked up my attention mm-hmm. on it is the the volume daily volume on every stock yep. is insane it's ridiculous so for something to trade i don't know like a like a lower float so like fewer available shares a small company to trade a couple million shares i don't know 10 million shares in a day 
makes it would be kind of average for a lot of the stuff I was looking at the lower price, lower float stocks. And then like yesterday there was one, it flipped the float. Float is the available shares to trade. So not held by people who own the company or insiders. And there was a one ran like $30 yesterday, another crazy short squeeze. And it was, it had already traded all available shares, 30 million float, which is relatively low. You know, Apple or them have billions and billions of shares available, right? So they had already traded the entire float before the market was open. So pre-market hours, which is limited trading and slower trading and bigger, wider spreads, it had already traded the float. So all that to say, in, in kind of layman's term, is the volume of all the people, all everybody, all of us that have increased our eyes on trading, increased our amount of trading, has just caused these parabolic moves. And I think it's going to keep going because, you know, now you have that that stock traded three million, three hundred million shares yesterday. Dang. And it had no business. I saw um, SRNE, which is a pharmaceutical company, traded a billion shares in a day. It was before that day that it ran and did the short squeeze deal. Like this has been happening all year. GameStop was just an especially crazy phenomenon. <laughs> but uh, when SRNE did it, I've like, it was the same deal and it traded a billion shares in a day when it normally traded something like 5 million in a day. Dang. So that's mm. been the difference it, to me, in my eyes, especially with the lower price stuff and all the like, we have the cure for COVID and then mm. the, it goes 600 points and you know, <laughs> there's been a lot of that going on. Yeah, yeah, to easily understand that, it'd be like you go to your grocery store that you go to you know, every week for the past five years, and there's some normal amount of people there, and then you go there, and there's a stadium full of people in your grocery store buying groceries, mm-hmm. and you, you, you can't explain why. You're looking around thinking, where did all of these people come from? That's what he's essentially talking about with volume, higher volumes. It's just way more people, way more money being traded and handled, and that, of course, coincides with the record amount of brokerage accounts that were opened, not only at Robinhood, but everywhere else, because of the reasons you all have mentioned yourself, you've experienced a large part of that. Yeah, so how do you take all of this? I mean, you you do this as a profession, long-term, like doing advisement for people. I mean, when you see all of this craziness happen, <laughs> what's going through your mind? Like, are you excited? Cause you're like, oh, all right, like more people are getting into investing. Or you're like, oh man, all these people, all these people are loons. Like, 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 <laughs> the world's losing their mind. Hey, like, why aren't you getting me my 600% return this yeah. month? There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of like definitional things. And this is a complicated podcast. Like he said 30 things I thought about, wow, we should define these terms and go off into those things. Oh, but no, but we, so we can't get into all that. But for me, my firm invests based upon human behavior. So it's no surprise to me. Uh, I'm an historian, I love studying the past. I think it's the best way to find out what the future is gonna look like. And the real answer is none of this is new. There's been manias throughout human history in every country and every culture forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, tulip mania is the one that gets brought up the most. To say it. But all you have to know is what's the price of a tulip? At the height of tulip mania, a tulip sold for $750,000. That's the flower And that's, that's four, if anybody's that's, wondering, that's, that's not an That's 400 years ago, and at that time, most of the world did not have any money. So how are these regular people buying it? Well, a bunch of companies opened and basically said, we'll lend you shares because it kept going up and up and up and up. And as long as stuff goes up, that model works. It eventually went down. People lost everything because of course, you know, again, it's exponential on the downside if you're borrowing something. So these things aren't new at all. In the 1800s, in, in, in a much more free market than what we have today, where the government was not interfering, you averaged a market crash, so to speak, much more frequently than you did nowadays, mm-hmm. but they were much faster, in my, in my opinion, much healthier because they weren't 
pumped with stimulus or they weren't propped up. But the bottom line is people are prone to running into these movements. They're prone to getting excited. But ultimately, the answer to your question for me, what do I see it as, Colin? People are not getting into investing. They're getting into gambling. It's pure speculation. There's a massive difference. And again, I like the poker analogies. Poker is not as important as it used to be, but if you want to survive for the long term in anything, professionals survive because they're really consistent. Mm-hmm. And what happens in investing is people have a lot of success because they're lucky and they think I'm crushing everyone, I'm a genius, but enough time goes on and they will lose everything. And there's plenty of studies to indicate this. 90% but, of traders lose money. But yeah, mm-hmm. and my favorite analogy is like if you're a golfer or pick your favorite sport and imagine you go right now and compete with whoever it is at the top of their sport, right? That's what you're gonna go do. You think I have no chance of beating them. But investing is very interesting because people think I can beat whoever it is right now. And you do. Oftentimes, we say this to all of our clients, as professional investors, every single year, some person who knows nothing and has never done a thing will crush us on a one-year return. Because by definition, we're not even going after those things. But that's what makes it tough is there's this element of spectacular gambling. And lastly, why does Vegas still work? Mm-hmm. Anyone who's studied anything about math knows I'm going to lose in the long run. But you go to Vegas for a weekend and think, maybe I'll pull that slot machine or maybe I'll hit a big blackjack and I'll just ride out the right moment. But unlike gambling, which you often don't have full access to the Vegas casinos, you do with day trading or you do with trading and eventually do you get out? Do you stop? Do you sell? And so most people don't have a system for when do I buy and when do I sell? They buy, they hold, and they think when's the right time, when's the right time, when's the right time, and eventually it's the wrong time and you're back down. But this is nothing new. I think that's the important thing to note. It's not new, it's just that it's a little different because of the access everyone now has. But again, let Toilet Mania be the lesson. They had no access to anything at that point in time. Most people owned nothing, yet they found a way to get access to tulips when things went crazy. So it's not that different. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Guys, so do you think that people having more access is a good or a bad thing? Oh, it's great. I think information and access are great. That's actually the nature of what I posted publicly was that it's, we live in a world that I think is, is struggling to get depth mm-hmm. to explain what's happening, right? So for example, a free market, what is a free market? In my opinion, everybody in every country should really want a free market because mm-hmm. it just means that people can exchange their ideas freely. But we've somehow made this term into something it's not, which is like mixture of governments and rich people. And it's, that's not what the definition of a free market even is. It's just free trade without restrictions. Um, and so I think that at the end of the day, the more information, the more data you have, the better, of mm-hmm. course. It's more accurate, better pricing, more information. You mentioned your newspaper reading, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to check a stock price 30, 40 years ago, you could maybe see it once a day. And while that might be good for your broker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's good for your mind, actually. You're right. more at peace that way. But information-wise, mm-hmm. of course, we're far more accurate. Actually, the stock market's far faster at getting to the right price nowadays than it ever was. Mm-hmm. That's part of why people don't like this volatility and the downside. But that's actually a sign of accuracy. It's not taking us as long to get to the proper price anymore. But those things make people mad, and they think they're cheating, or it's, it's evil rich people forcing prices down. But oftentimes, this is the real story, right? If your company's good, mm-hmm. there's not enough people that can short sell you out of business. It's impossible. Because right. everyone else yeah. would buy, your, they want to buy. You know, a, a free market is what? Two people. Mm-hmm. You want to buy, he wants to sell. Mm-hmm. You can't just buy something mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to sell it to you. Yeah. So that, that's often, I think, misunderstood in yeah. some context. I think it was uh, Mark Cuban that was talking about people shorting companies he owns, and he says he's absolutely a proponent of it because he believes in his company so yeah. much that the shorts are only gonna help him in the long term on the on the ride up. So. Sure. You made me, when you said that, it made me think of Tesla, because yeah. Tesla's been crazy mm-hmm. the, the last two years. Mm-hmm. And Tesla's weird because it acts like a penny stock with all the crazy volatility, so it'll swing 100 points in a day, uh, one way or the other, 
oftentimes not on news or anything else, just basically on momentum, one way or the other. Or a tweet. And, yeah, or a tweet <laughs> from Elon. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it is insane how that top stock behaves. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it is not going to move more than that. It's got a wide range, but it's not going to move out of that range because it is an actual company with actual products, with actual development, with actual sales. Now, you know, I would, and probably I think a lot of financial analysts would say, I'm not a financial analyst, but a lot of people would say um, Tesla is grossly overpriced, overvalued right now. As if you do like a, just a valuation based on outstanding Elon shares, what they're worth. Price to earning it's guys. insane. <laughs> it's absolutely insane that they're one of like the top five most valuable companies in the world. However, you know, you're pricing it, again, it's an actual company. So you're not, no single investor, a group of investors, uh, a short squeeze with them is gonna be a mini short squeeze, like a couple points, because it is a real company. When you get in, into GameStop, I think we all know that GameStop is going to be a dead, it's Blockbuster Video, right before Blockbuster Video became a thing we all had to tell our kids about that used to exist, <laughs> you know? It's, it is in that stage, and even if they turn it around, maybe they eke out some business in the next 10 years, they're not a real business in the way that Tesla or Apple or Ford or GM, who are all having kind of turnarounds, are. Like, it's just not going to be crazy volatile like that. Yeah, it's hard to sell me back my digital copy of Call of Duty for uh, $2. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Like they did the hard one, so... No, I think it's it's important. I mean, one of the things that they say is everybody looks like a genius in a bull market, right? And we're in a bull market. And if anybody, you know, you can look at the definition between a bull and a bear market, but basically a bull market means it's really good. And, um, you know, the, the problem in, in exactly what James said, the problem with right now is, is also boredom, right? Robinhood came in and they gamified uh, money. And, you know, there's been a lot of draw to that because guess what everybody's pretty short on money depending on where you live you may not be able to go to work depending on what your local government is telling you so you know because of that there's more people sitting around who don't have anything to do other than read headlines the news and in in the long run i'm hoping that this ends up being a very good thing from a income equality perspective people i don't care if you're making $30,000 a year, you need to be investing. It's the only way that you're ever gonna get ahead for, you know, if you ever wanna retire, right? Um, I do some speaking sometimes at UF, and uh, one of my favorite things to do is at the beginning of the class, I'll ask two questions, and I'll go in and I'll, uh, and I'll say, how many, raise your hand if you think you're gonna be a millionaire? And maybe 10 to 20% of the class will raise their hands, right? Then I go in and I say, raise your hand if you think you're gonna retire. And then like 90, 95% of them raise their hand. And then I just let them know, it'll be like, well, I've got news for you. If any of you want to retire, you're going to have to be a millionaire multiple times over, especially when you consider inflation. By the time you're 70, yeah. we're going to be talking about thresholds of like 10 to 20 million minimum, right? You know, so it's just, it's one of those things. There's a massive disconnect with financial education in our country. We know that. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to lose their shirts whenever this fun run that we're having eventually comes to an abrupt halt. Um, my, my hope is that most people get out before that happens, um, but history will tell you that they won't. Because again, this is about human behavior. Mm -hmm. And um, we get greedy, and that's it. So that would just be the, the little caveat I would say in all this. If you are holding some positions, if you made some money, that's great. 
get out. Take you know, profit. take the profit and run and hold it. Because guess what? The one of the most richest men in the world, whose only job he ever had pretty much was investing, is Warren Buffett. And that guy, through the entire downturn, he has been consistent with his company. Uh, and for the decades, all he does is wait for things to crash and then buy. There's a saying that goes, when there's blood in the street, buy real estate. And basically what that's saying is when things get bad and there's a disaster, that's when you want to take advantage. That's mm-hmm. when there's value buys. Even when the pandemic was happening and everything was going down, people were like, is Buffett going to come in and buy an airline? Is he going to buy this, buy that? He did nothing because he still didn't think that there was for his consistency, for his rules, you know, for what he considered value. He didn't think there was still a good enough buy at that point. And he did it and it, he eventually did, but it took him a really long time to do it. So you know, for everybody out there, just I did in the middle of this, just want to say, be cautious out there. You know, be careful when people are getting greedy, when things are are good and, and, and take the money and run and then take some time to really learn because this is important stuff. So should take people even buy individual stocks or just avoid it altogether? Uh, you should if you know the company. If you do your research, first research on how to research. Most people don't even know how to do that. If it's a publicly traded company, they have to disclose a lot of information that a private company does not. Mm -hmm. It's available out there for anybody to find, anybody to read. And at the end of the day, you need to go and you need to know that. So if you have an understanding of that, you have an understanding of what the business does, where it's going, and you believe in it, Absolutely, buy it, hold it for a long time. Forget all this day trading stuff. You know, um, you know, read reports on it. You can read other smart people that know finances. There's tons of information out there. Um, is that where I would start? No, I wouldn't start there. Yeah. So from an academic standpoint, the answer is no. No one should own an individual stock. That's very interesting. I lecture on that topic all the time. That's why you're not going to see very many fiduciary firms, the more sophisticated they get, owning any individual stocks. And what I mean by that is their portfolio is not three or four or five stocks. <coughs> of course, everyone owns individual stocks right. in some yeah. segment. If you right. go purchase an index fund, you own individual stocks. You just own 500 of them or 50 of them or whatever, right? Um, but that's not what people think of when they think of owning individual stocks. And there's again, there's more than we can cover here. There's so many interesting things, but... Perhaps the most important thing I could say in a nugget, and this might shock a lot of you, is that value investing, value investing is the worst way to invest. So Fama and French are the most famous researchers in the field. They've done a ton of different look, and you can look at momentum, size, market, which is just owning an index fund, close your eyes, right, never look at it again, um, or value. And value returns the least. Now, what does this tell you? One, as Warren Buffett would tell you right now, pretty much the entire industry does valuations. Everybody knows how to calculate a valuation. I teach my interns to do it in two days. There's little formulas you can learn online in five seconds. Valuation is good, it's important, don't get me wrong. But the reality is human behavior drives stock markets. And what's that? That's momentum. And momentum is the most productive. In fact, it's the only one on the long curve of 100 years that beats just holding an index. Size doesn't matter, small, big, large, neither does value. I'm not saying don't value companies, but I think the important thing here is if you're looking to think you are going to value an individual stock at some level better than everyone else, people that have PhDs in finance valuing the same stock you are and you have a better valuation than them, that's just foolish. Now you might get really lucky and say, hey, great, I think this company's worth this and it goes way up, but don't convince yourself that your valuation is gonna work on every other individual stock you look at. So what does this mean? This means that if you're average, if you're perfectly average, this is the core of your question, the odds are much better that you will make more money 
in the long run if you buy an index fund versus picking your own individual stocks. That's the take home. But mm-hmm. what happens? What happens, right? One of you picks an individual stock, say Amazon, at the beginning. 20 years go by, and you're the one that's all over the Wall Street Journal because you're a genius, and you create some story for why you picked it. You have a good story. You know, I knew it, I felt it in my heart, it was amazing. <laughs> and everyone else reads it and thinks, that's gonna be me. And that's what happens. That's the penny stock. That's price. the penny yep. stock that's point, and that's another example. And that stock that I know is gonna go to a dollar. And that's it, and your, like, your story's like a great one. And, and if you instead had put a $10,000 into your stock, or a million, let's say, because you inherited it, and now all of a sudden, you're like the darling, you got out of 600%, and you're a genius, and if you're smart, and he knows this from options trading, you stop trading entirely and just write books and you sell your little course on how to become a a rocket scientist millionaire (laughs) because you know eventually you're going to zero. So the answer actually is no. All of you listening should not own individual stocks unless it's gonna be less than 10% of your portfolio and it's just something you want to enjoy. View it as a hobby and if you get lucky, great. But don't for a second think that you are going to be the next person to pick a bunch of individual stocks and own four or five of them and make a lot of money. The odds are way against you and the math is not in your favor, generally speaking. So to to your point, I have a question for you and maybe this will help with some people. So keep in mind, everybody, James is a professional on this stuff. He knows what he's talking about. In your professional opinion, do you think that Tesla is priced so high simply because Elon Musk is cool? It could be. I also like to think that being a professional investor makes you tremendously humble. Because by definition, you're wrong all the time. We tell our clients that we think our portfolio is amazing and it's wrong 35% of the time. We're in the wrong position 35% of the time. And we're long-term investors and we are wrong more than a third of the time. Most professions, you're going nowhere with that, right? Uh, So one, you have to be humble. Two, I have no idea why any company is worth what it's worth in the short run. You don't have any idea. You have to let time play out. Uh, Companies like Tesla that have so much intangible value are impossible to measure, which is why Warren Buffett to this day is like, look, the world is increasingly being filled with these intangible priced companies. I haven't really touched them. Maybe that's a mistake, but I still don't have any way to know what the heck to do with them, so I'm just gonna, not do anything. Um, But the answer is we don't know. But also, yes, right? Yes, clearly the price is so high because it it is the company of our time and that's obviously going to drive the price up. But again, simple illustration here, you go to your favorite style store and a certain style becomes really popular and it's sold out. And it's sold out despite the fact the company's trying to source more, right? If you ever wonder, why are they sold out of this product? Everybody wants it. Mm -hmm. Well, because they can't make it fast enough for Mm -hmm. people to buy it. And that is an indication of what people like. It's just simple, they like it. You couldn't, you couldn't look at the perfect reason why this shoe you made is technically superior to others. Oftentimes it's not. People like it, it sells out. And you know that in the concert business too. Oftentimes we couldn't really tell why one musician becomes really famous over another, because it's not often skill. Why does one show sell out and the other one doesn't? Why doesn't it? Promotion being equal. Yeah, and we could spend tons of money, we could Hmm. forecast things and write great articles and create newsletters and make people feel good about themselves, but the real answer is, who knows? Nobody knows. But we know in the long run that if Elon Musk is good and Tesla's a good company, they will create products people want to buy, services people want to pay for, and they'll still be around. And they'll create value for society, they'll still be there. But in the short run, I don't know. And we know that our world, I mean the other good part of the Tesla thesis is our world is moving to an electric vehicle, renewable energy world, one way or the other. I mean, California has now passed a law that they have to by a certain 20 whatever. Um, you know, So the world is moving that direction. So there, I feel like there's a good bull case. And this is coming from someone, I've lost way more money shorting Tesla than I have 
I've been on the wrong side of Tesla for the last year and a half, and I keep going, I'm never trading Tesla again, and then it's doing something that's queuing me in and setting off of my indicators, and I do it again, and then I get burned again. And, uh, and then I'll- Because Elon Musk big. is cool, and people keep buying it for that reason. Do not bet against Elon. I keep shorting it like an idiot. You know, It'll start to crack, I'll short it. And one or two times I was successful, and mm-hmm. I hit really big, which is, Again, the danger of options. Yeah, you bring up a options. you bring up a good point. This is my own personal opinion. We can talk about governments and other stuff. But Warren Buffett switched from being an investor who actually famously got really wealthy. This is going to sound crazy easy nowadays, but back then in the fifties and sixties, people were extremely unsophisticated with their investing. They weren't even doing base valuation. So for him, he'd come into a company. Let's pick his because his is a good one. Where he has he has a lot of fixed property and inventory, right? Let's say that he's got light systems and everything else, and we can create a value for that. On paper, we can say, what's your company worth if you go bankrupt? You too, with your scooters. Okay, it's worth X amount of dollars. He would come in and buy companies that were trading beneath their bankruptcy level because that was happening. That's a market inefficiency. People were not doing their homework, therefore he would just buy the company and he knew if it went bankrupt, he'd still make money. (laughs) Nowadays, that's impossible. Way too many people are valuing these companies. Too much information, too easily. Too much information. So what does Warren Buffett start doing? And this is what makes me sick. The free market person in me hates this stuff because this is not what you want to see your society doing, in my opinion. It leads to less flourishing for everyone. He buys an airline stock. Mm-hmm. He buys bank stocks. Well, why is he doing that? Because the government's coming in and backstopping all of them. Right. So when we come in and we say, look, if you love electric vehicles because they're great for whatever reason, that's great. I'm not knocking that at all. But if the government comes in and says, I'm going to take a bunch of taxpayer dollars and I'm going to guarantee that this investment or this company gets stuff, the ironic thing to me is that is actually the favoritism we're fighting against. Yes. That's the unfair inequality, yeah. creating a champion where I pick your industry and your mm-hmm. company and not yours. That's what I don't like to see because I want the free market to work that stuff out. And look, if all of us want electric vehicles, and that's what's gonna happen, period, because the world will move in that direction. It takes a little bit longer than some of us want, but ultimately that's interesting because that does create real investment stories, but those to me, can become the very fraudulent stories. And then what happens, you're Elon Musk, you on Tesla, you've got government money, the government and you now have an incentive to keep each other alive. Many of you know Mr. Wonderful from uh, Shark Tank, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin O'Leary, and he's recently come out and said he is 100% against bailouts in any form. Yeah, me too. And and I totally agree with him mm-hmm. because when you listen to his position, the free market is very much like natural selection, right? If you are a weak company or you are a company who cannot adapt, you are going to die. It's as simple as that. Well, guess what? Somebody will very gladly fill that vacuum of demand and probably do it a lot better than you did, Mm -hmm. right? So that's one of the things that honestly has made America so great is the fact that we, when a company does die, that we tend to replace it with something a lot better as long as there's demand for that still. And it didn't die because we just didn't care anymore. So that's one of the big things about all of this is that we don't want the governments coming in and saying, hey, if you move to our state and open up jobs, we'll give you these massive tax write-offs. And then that's how you hear about companies like Amazon, right? Who end up paying like less in tax, you know, income taxes than certain individuals, right? Than the people at this table, (laughs) exactly. Because they're getting so many write-offs and the government is propping them up for the sake of jobs. And New York did something that was really great, actually. They said no, they weren't because they were, you know, flirting with what state were they gonna put their next big operation center in. They went to New York and New York said, no, we're not gonna give you any breaks. And they kind of stood their ground and guess what? Test, uh, Amazon went and did it anyway. 
and because it was a good location and now they're going to get all that tax money so anyway all that being said we want as little involvement as that as possible because that's when things start getting screwy and then that's when people have the you know the the ability to buy these companies that are you know I hate to use the phrase again but too big to fail can i say something going back to earlier uh when i think you asked the question like should people own individual stocks um i've been because i have a lot of friends that know i've like constantly checking my stock market stuff and been doing it for like a little longer than it's been cool not like yeah anyway so i've been doing it for a little while and not just like started with this robin hood craze but uh one thing that i regularly tell people and i always preface it with i'm not a financial advisor but do not get into robin hood get you know any of the free they're all all the brokerages are pretty much free or very low cost now don't get into it thinking that you're going to beat it. If you want to get into it and actually learn it, which means watching videos, studying, reading, like, you know, I have Barron's and Wall Street Journal and all these subscriptions and things that I read daily and try to see where things are going, try to read, you know, where the market's going, why it's going that direction, all that. If you're not interested at a, like, even a hobby level of like, I really want to know why it's doing all this, then man, get an index fund, make 10 points a year mm-hmm. without doing anything. You know, so if you got $5,000 sitting there and you're like, ah, I'm making nothing in my savings account. If you put in an index fund, it's very safe. It's been safe for years. It's gonna make you seven to 12%, is that about right? True, yep. Year over year, and your 5,000 will be a whole lot more even if you don't put anything else in it. You know, or contribute your 50 or 100 bucks a month in an IRA. Like do that type of investing unless you're really, like either it's a very small amount of money, like I'm gonna put 500 bucks in my Robinhood account or whatever brokerage account and play with it until I lose it. You know, If you're gonna treat it like gambling, you have to actually treat it like a gambler. So like if I'm going into a Vegas casino, mm-hmm. I would say, hey, I'm gonna spend 500 bucks tonight. I'm gonna drink all the free drinks they'll bring me. I'm gonna drink my $500 worth mm. and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna throw away my 500 bucks. If I go up to a thousand or more, I'm taking my money off the table and I'm going home a winner. Right, like that's how you have to view, in my mind, day trading or stock market dabbling. You're either gonna say, hey, here professional, take my money and, and make it, just make a small amount of money but respectable amount, keep it safe, don't let it go away, don't let it burn. Or you say, hey, I'm going in with this little bit that, I'm a lot, that I can lose, I'm gonna have some fun, I may or may not have it tomorrow. But the flip side of that is, if you make money, you have to take it off the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being in cash, like this morning, I was almost all in cash, and I'm glad because there was a the S and P took a dump out of the gate. It ended up it kind of just chopped around and evened out, but it took a dump out of the gate, and all my positions would have been down. I would have been down five or six grand this morning, and just overnight from a very small, stupid little market correction. And you know, it wasn't that I was some genius. It's just I don't like my money sitting in open positions. <laughs> that are volatile. So I pull my money into cash and it's cash is a great place to be. So if you're in a trade and it skyrockets up and you're doing great like GameStop and you just made $200 a share and life is great, take it off the table and get it out of your mind. Everybody does this, myself included, of like, oh, if I would have held a little longer, but for every time, if you would have held a little longer, I would have made this much more money. Yeah, I can tell you, I've held longer and lost way more money. Yep. Yeah. And that's every time I've taken a big loss in a day. You know, I've had three and five thousand dollar loss days more than once. And if I if I were to take those losses out of my trading portfolio, I would be into six figures in the last year. 
if I just took out my big stupid losses where I didn't cut it quick, where I stayed in, like it's gonna turn around. But if I would have cut it when I knew I should have cut it, mm-hmm. I would have been fine. You, could, you couldn't have possibly guessed though, and this is something I hear, especially like with new people getting into investing, that, oh man, one more day I would have had 10 grand, or oh, three more days I would have <laughs> three more days I would have had, you know, whatever it is, and it's like, yes, but you're only doing that retrospectively, and it's like, you don't understand, or maybe you haven't considered the amount of decisions that you would have had to make mm-hmm. between Monday and Thursday to hold that position, especially someone who's avidly into day trading, and you're checking this thing, and it's 9.25 a.m., and you're just staring at it, waiting to go, like, you couldn't have made the amount of correct decisions that it would have taken from Monday to Friday, or the chances that you did is so low that to try to like have this FOMO, I think is, is absurd. I've also never talked to anyone, quite frankly, I've never talked to an investor who doesn't have millions of these stories, who doesn't yeah. have millions of the, yeah, I should have held this, I should have held this. I sold Amazon at $15, right? Like that was, that was oh, I'm saying people have these sort of stories. I liken it to like fantasy football, where it's yeah. like, we, we always have those friends that are like, oh man, but if I would have put this backup quarterback yeah. and I would have started him, I would have won. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but you would have never done that. Like, why yeah. would you have ever started him over Tom Brady? You wouldn't have done that. So yeah. the what if game is just kind of irrelevant. It's why really, did it again? And, like and so like to your point of FOMO and like if I would have done this, so GameStop, I was shorting it around yeah. 35, <laughs> broke through, right? I, I had a moment where I considered going long because I was like, oh, this is gonna be an epic short squeeze. This thing's mm-hmm. gonna go to 70 or 80 bucks. This is pretty crazy, right? Like, you know, which would be a normal version of that short squeeze. And I didn't. I'm actually glad I did because I don't think I could have handled the roller coaster. I did not touch it after I, I took my short money off mm-hmm. the table and mm-hmm. was like, this, this is insane. I'm just not going to touch mm-hmm. this. And, but when I objectively actually stand back, there would have been on the way from 40, 45 to 345, there would have been 15 different places where I would have sold it. Yeah, There's exactly, no way. Yeah. Exactly. There's no, no way, way knowing what I know that I would have watched it go parabolic, no. sold it at the top, and then miraculously walked away a millionaire. Like there's that's no not, there's no way. It's not right. how it works. So speaking of FOMO and investments, I don't know if it's, if it's worth, because I know there's so many places we could go, but I don't know if that's a good time to transition a little bit into the crypto world. Yes. Uh, okay. Definitely want to definitely want to transition in there. But before we too. do, like, do you have any before we wrap like wrap up the investing side of it or the the normal stock side of it? Yeah, you can probably go ahead and go to crypto. I do. I have two two points I kind of wanted to to weigh weigh in on, but uh, it might be more. It's still broad. Maybe I'll go ahead and do it. So what what is it like? Is it how dangerous is it? I'll phrase it that way for somebody like Elon to have as much power as he does with a single tweet. Like, is that something that's that should scare people? He knows it too because he was on club, like he was on that new app Clubhouse, like mm-hmm. in a group speaking and everything. And he said, "I got to be careful. I got to be careful about what I say because if I say something, like the, the stock could go." F- through right. the roof. Well, we had a president, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> uh, that has personally cost me about 15 grand from where I was in an amazing position and then he tweeted something and, and then, then it, just it just crashed. Pl- like just yeah. absolute set off all my alerts on the downside and was like, oh, get out, get out, get out. And that happened multiple times. So I think there's, it's not just Elon, I think it's a right. lot of people that have that uh, kind of power over the market. And But it's always been that way. All it takes is, yeah. uh, all it takes is one wacky thing, 
um, like right around the election, there were several days. Like one day is like the most positive day ever, and the S and P's up. And then the next day, it's like the world's going to end. There's going to be an election dispute, and it's down. So I think it's not just that's my my take on it. I don't. Know it's all human behavior. Yeah, we we shouldn't be worried at all if free people have influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We Amen. should be very worried. Again, very worried if government people have that kind of influence. Absolutely. And that's what history would tell you, right? And look at China. China's a pseudo pretend to be free country right now. They're not free. No. Um, anyone who's been there can tell you that. But right now, China can knock on Colin's business store here at New Scooters for Less and say, you're done. I mean, to give why, you- Why a, am a, I done? A real well, example. You know, I'm, you're done, and that's G- it, and your business is over, and, and there is no more New Scooters for Less, and there's no reason for it, mm-hmm. right? And that's what you don't want to have. Right. So if Elon Musk had power behind his influence, right now, yeah, sure, he can influence things, prices can move up and down, but that's the free volition of people listening to him. Whereas if he has the power to actually say, you're a winner, you're a loser, this stock's a winner, that stock's a loser, we're in real trouble. So use that at best though. Humans have always had tremendous influence. It's always been much more concentrated than it is now. That's the ironic thing. Mm -hmm. Much more concentrated before, you know, before the late 1880s, 97% of the world was in extreme poverty. Didn't own anything. So wherever they lived, they had one or two or three people that ruled over them. So Elon Musk is far less of a a concern than what we've seen before. And again, we just don't want to have a singular entity have the ability to weigh the axe over us. Uh, that's, that's you know that that's like a, a big quick reductive takeaway. But for me, that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. To to just tap on the China thing very quickly. Uh, some of you may have heard of the company Alibaba, right? That was started by a guy, um, you know, that was uh, called Jack Ma, and Jack Ma, he's one of the richest guys in the world. You know, do that. He had another uh, company that was getting ready to go public on China stock exchange called the Ant Group. Well, one of the problems with Jack Ma is that he became very outspoken about the Chinese government, political issues over there, and let's just say they didn't really like what he had to say. And basically, right before he IPO'd, the government stepped in, Chinese government stepped in, and completely axed it for whatever reason that they wanted to. doesn't matter if it was fabricated or not. They took him to the cleaners, and nobody, he's not on any form of social media anymore. You don't know where he's at. Well, they did people that hostage-looking video. They, they yeah, literally, oh God, people were wondering if he okay. got kidnapped and he had to come out and be like, yeah, everything's fine, guys, with a you know yeah. clearly scripted thing. So it's like, that is an extreme example, but we can absolutely get there if we aren't careful mm-hmm. with what our elected leaders uh, intend to do. So I'm sure. Yeah. And then here's another quick hit on this because, you know, if you're listening to the show, you might think, man, James is like the most far right conservative person I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, I, I would actually like to think that I'm like, uh, everyone's left me behind. Like, I just believe in like small government and freedom. And, there, you know, there's no party for me right now. But I will say this, like, I, I believe that Twitter and other companies can also do what they want because they're free companies. Yes. So if Twitter wants Absolutely. to kick me off, they can do it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the long run, what happens is Twitter will fail if that's their strategy yeah, yep. because free people want a voice. But if they want to kick anybody off, the president included, that is their right that we should all defend Mm -hmm. in a free country, Mm -hmm. that we should all want that because we should all want our own businesses to be able to have freedom. Same way if we want to kick somebody out of the scooter Absolutely shop because we don't like right. their <laughs> yeah. or so, right. our other customers, right, right. we yeah. can ask them to leave. It's so that scares right. me, Colin, when I see people that on one side are like, well, we support freedom in these things. I'm like, well, this couldn't happen with Twitter. We should have government action. It's thinking, what? Mm-hmm. You can't even have, if that's what you think, you definitely can't think that because you're saying you want freedom. And if you're on the other side and you want a nanny state, then of course, you know, that would make sense. Everything is good until it goes against you. But ultimately, free people 
with with access to information should always want companies to be able to make these choices without us wanting government action. That there's something illegal about Twitter saying this is our client and user base and we're gonna have these voices allowed and these voices not fine. Eventually someone else can rise up and, and fill that need. Create yep. a competing product that's better. Yeah, do it. And then people will use it if they want it, if the need's there. From uh, Specifically from an investing standpoint too, I think that you know I'm much in the same line as what you're saying is like a free market needs to mean a free market and there's gotta be winners, there's gotta be lunar, losers, excuse me. And whenever you start censoring speech in any sort, like so if we go to Elon Musk and we say, look, you can't tweet X or you can't tweet X about your company, like the people who are gonna end up in the long run getting more hurt by that are the people who are on these Reddit threads who are then no longer allowed to share this information. Like the people on Wall Street bets that were all saying that the access to information is what we all want in the long term and that more access is better. And I think that anytime you start censoring, even when it is just a CEO or something like that, it trickles down to end up that now you and I can't have this conversation in the studio talking about stocks because of whatever regulation is going on. And, and to be clear, there's a lot of stuff Elon can't tweet or sure, say sure. because yeah. of SEC regulations. Of and he's gotten in trouble a few times yeah. because he said something that wasn't about his company that they hadn't officially filed through the right channels. So he said it early. You know, so there, like, there are limitations, even as a public company, of things that he can and can't say. My question, this is a crypto question, going back to that, is, and this is actually my biggest problem with Bitcoin. I own a small amount of Bitcoin, not a lot. Um, I've bought and sold it a few times on the rise, so that I've been very happy about Bitcoin. Um, kind of like everything else, though, I'm not a big holder in it. I like ride some momentum, get out. I'm doing the same right now. My real problem with Bitcoin, like I get blockchain as the peer-to-peer, -peer, I get it as taking the middleman out, those concepts. <coughs> I just don't understand how, what we're doing with that is cutting out the market makers who are the ones making all the money on the back end, Robinhood and all these things, cutting out all the Wall Street folks and cutting out the government. And that's my biggest problem with crypto, with being able to really buy into the thesis of it, is like, I don't see, at least not in my lifetime, I don't see that happening, man. I don't think they're gonna let it happen. But what's your take on that? Like, you're, you said you're big into crypto and have been for a while. Yeah, no, it's, um, so, so you have to differentiate a little bit because all crypto is not created equal. Right. And the purpose of crypto and for this sake of the conversation, I'm just going to go with the two market cap leaders, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin and Ethereum are nothing alike mm -hmm. um, at the bottom of their technology is something called blockchain, um, which is uh, essentially just a ledger and a way to keep track of information that is virtually unhackable because of the way that it is. It prevents any kind of fraud. Um, it, it, it is incredibly secure. Um, if you ever hear anything about um, people losing money because something got hacked, that was not the blockchain that got hacked, that was the exchange that got hacked. Um, the blockchain itself is incredibly secure and it's a game changer because uh, to give a quick definition on it, you could use music files for blockchain. One particular application where I think blockchain could be incredibly important uh, in the future is actually in news and official video clips. Because with the emergence of deep fakes um, that we're having, that is becoming a huge issue, right? You see, we've seen the videos, um, you know, of political leaders specifically coming out. It looks like they are saying something they are not saying. Like you were looking at the video, you feel like you saw Trump say something or Nancy Pelosi say something or whatever the case is, you cannot tell because it syncs so well with their lips and it's a machine synthesizing their voice, but it's saying whatever they want them to say, 
right? That's extremely dangerous, right? So, I mean, if the, if the, whoever's the president of whatever country has a video that gets released saying that they're going to bomb some other country and that thing goes viral, well, we've got an international crisis on our hands. So that's an extreme problem. Well, a way that technology can fix that is through its authenticity in some type of blockchain verification that this is the original media file. So there's a lot of different ways that people are working on that. But when I say blockchain, I just wanted to draw that uh, contrast that I'm not just talking about money here. I'm not just talking about finance. You can do it with anything from music to sound to whatever. That's what blockchain is at a very rudimentary scale. The difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is that Bitcoin was, um, if you think about it in terms of this, if Bitcoin is the cars, Ethereum is the roads that it's driving on and all the stop signs and traffic lights. It is the infrastructure, the Bitcoin is the vehicle, so to speak. And that's not even a perfect analogy, but it gets you a little bit of what I'm going to say. So Bitcoin is really just meant to be a currency, the end. It's, it's just meant to be money. And Ethereum is meant to be what they're calling decentralized finance or short for DeFi. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially creating user to user um, uh, points of contact to where we can trade, uh, for lack of a better term, information, financial contracts, whatever it needs to be directly with each other. And it's completely secure and it cuts out the middleman. It cuts out the banks, cuts out mortgage brokers cuts out a lot of different things and there is literally use cases in the future to where if you want to come over and buy my house we could do it over an app and we could cross out everybody now exactly to your point that it's put like a lot seven middlemen that you this, just that, that's out. a I lot of people swinging there's a lot of people but hey guess what i'm getting ready to sell my house in a couple months we're building a new one and i have to pay realtors i have to pay brokers i have to pay the government i have to, there are so many people that i have to pay to sell what i own right and you know now i'm not saying that look realtors have value for sure but the only reason you know some of these other things have value is because that's the system it was created for so i do see the government stepping in and protecting that i do think that they will get in the way with that and that will slow down adoption but the reality is there will there it's inevitable right people will find a way to get around it people will find a way to utilize this technology to disrupt the way things are done. And if these industries are smart, they'll adapt. They'll figure out ways to, you know, make things more seamless. I mean, the last closing that I had on my house when I built this one, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I mean, like it was a, it, the, the people that we used to brokerage it, it like communication was terrible. I didn't know what I had to pay up front to like the day of closing, like extremely confusing. It was a very frustrating process. So if you bring in something that it's like, hey, you can click a couple buttons and get past that. Well, those industries now are going to be forced because there are fees associated with that, right? Like it's not going to be completely free. Those industries are going to be forced to adapt or die. So and again, with the Kevin O'Leary thing, I'm totally fine with that. So that's kind of where in a very high level nutshell there, what things are looking at. So to me, I would say Bitcoin, think of it as virtual gold. I don't think Bitcoin due to the limitations on how many there are will ever become something like a, you know, like a virtual dollar bill that we will go and buy a coffee with. 
And Elon Musk was asking about this. Could we use it for large value stores? I think just like you don't walk around with a gold bar in your pocket mm-hmm. and you're like, here, I'll just chip off this corner here and, you know, buy a, <laughs> buy something with it. You I mean, know, you don't know me like that. I mean, maybe I you that. do. Maybe yeah. you've got really <laughs> deep, yeah, strong cool pockets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I think we shirt. should bring uh, yeah, that. It's pretty go. good. I could be wrong. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm judging people all wrong. Cargo pants, you know, but, uh, but that's where Bitcoin is probably going to go. There will probably be a different crypto or maybe a couple of different cryptos that we will use as more of a currency. But Bitcoin will be that gold standard. As of right now, things could definitely change. I do not know. <laughs> but that's the use case that I see for it. That's, and that's what I've read a lot of. Is yeah. That's the common. Ethereum Bitcoin's will be reserve. the network in which things are being traded hands, essentially. And there are other ones that are like Ethereum that could come up. Um, but that's essentially, like I said, just sticking with those two use cases mm-hmm. uh, where I see it. So. Does everybody here have crypto? I have some. Not have a lot. None? No, none. I uh, just crossed six figures with it. Okay. So. Wow. Congratulations. Decent amount. Small amount. Yeah. Small amount. Do you have any? I don't have any. I mean... I did have a Robin Hood statement where I made 57 cents on it last year. Woo! <laughs> 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 1099 missed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, talk about like the fear of missing out. Right, I think this is really happening with with crypto. Uh, I read an interesting stat that kind of happened when uh, Bitcoin took its you know next spike up. Uh, for everybody who's listening, this is what day is today? We're recording on February seventeenth. Fifty-one five, fifty-one oh five. Is that what it's at? March first. It broke. Okay, so right now, as we're recording, Bitcoin is at fifty-two thousand four hundred seventy-seven dollars and seventy-seven cents. Um. Now I read that in two thousand seven figures, Sam. But in, in two thousand nine, yeah. in two thousand nine, a hundred dollars would have bought you one thousand bitcoins. Right. So if you would have bought, if you would have invested a hundred dollars into Bitcoin back in two thousand nine, you would have fifty two million dollars right now. Would have been nice. <laughs> like, would have been great. Isn't that? I mean, I don't know. It's like that's insane, right? So these spikes and stuff. I see people like, oh, buy Bitcoin. It's still, it's still, it's still early. It's still gonna go. It's gonna go <laughs> to the moon. To the moon. To the moon. That to me Season, is always you know? a sign that it's not going anywhere. So, you know, it starts putting the moon, to the moon. emoji. It's like, like yeah. should, it's definitely not going to the moon now. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna crash hard. Okay, like should people buy a little bit of this at fifty-two thousand dollars? No. I, it goes back to like what you're like we, we've all touched on the fact of goal oriented investing is what it is so like look I hold some dogecoin right I think it's hilarious I understand there's no intrinsic value behind this thing I love it I think it's hilarious and the fact that it's reached even the level it is so like I just I really like that vision and I really so I hold like I have like 100 coins I think it's maybe five dollars or something like that it's a joke right so if your goal in getting into crypto is because you have had FOMO for the past 11, 12 years now, and now you think at $52,000, Bitcoin is like your next big thing, I would make the argument that your goals are not good. If you are getting into crypto because you believe in all of the things, and even like I'm hearing you talk about this, and I'm even questioning what, like where I'm getting into and stuff, because this sounds like a good long-term vision. So if you're getting into crypto because you believe in the long-term vision that we're moving maybe as 100 years into this sort of like decentralized finance, then I think, yeah, golden. But you have to ask yourself what your goals are, right? It's no different than any other stock. Like if you buy a stock and you just hope to make money off of it, then I would say that's not a great investment. But if you believe in the long-term vision of crypto, then I mean, I, not to plug my own podcast here, but I did an episode just recently because I get this question all the time of whether or not you should buy into Bitcoin. 
and I go through four questions uh, that you have to ask yourself and you have to answer yes to every single one of them in order to get to the final level and be able to <laughs> get the endorsement, right? But in general, and you know, be interested to hear James's opinion on this, I look at it from the perspective and I go, if you are in a position, if your financial foundation is secure, you have your six months minimum, you know, emergency fund, you know, ready to go. You have other investments, you're contributing to a 401k, you know, other, you know, proven set investment things that should not be your first investment, right? You know, for me, I look at it and I say, if 10% of your investable income every month, I think should be, uh, for, for people who are younger, should be put into speculative investments, whatever that ends up being. So to me, Bitcoin, Ethereum, very speculative investments. So if you have $100 to invest every month, then I would say take $10 of that 100. And if you want to put it into crypto and you've met all those other criteria, then yeah, sure. That's kind of where I would see to put it. But, you know, I'm interested to hear Because you're basically saying it's safe to light it on fire in the middle of the table. Yeah, you, you just have <laughs> to be, you yeah, have to be prepared. Like a, I'm, I, I can lose this yes, entire amount. Yes, it is gambling, mm -hmm. but it is also something that it is not a company, right? Like right. This, we're not betting on Amazon here. This is a currency. This is a technology that we're betting on. And it is completely controlled by what people say it's going to be worth. So that's kind of where I just kind of lean with it is 10% of investable income. I want to do more than that. Um, at that, that point, you're just, you're really setting yourself up to be in a bad position and hold it. If you're going to do it, you need to treat it like other investments, like buy it and forget about it. Like mm -hmm. don't even look at it. It trades 24 seven. I try to trade it a little bit very early on when insane, because guess what? China and Asia, they go crazy on this stuff. So in the middle at of the night when morning, I'm sleeping, yeah. it could drop 30%. So, uh, Anyway, but what, what, James, what do you think about the 10%? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, there, there's, there's, again, there's so much here. Uh, there's so, <laughs> yeah, much, there's so depth, much, so much depth into this, yeah. but, but I think in general, let's, let's take a second to talk about like a financial planning oriented mm -hmm. thing. Cause we've talked a lot about this indirectly. Uh, there's a couple of things going on. One, anyone who starts a business becomes aware of this at some point in time, right? Starting a business is all risk essentially in the beginning. You're mm -hmm. risking a paycheck, you're risking Not a bunch of things. But yeah, <laughs> but then eventually, <laughs> right. eventually, if you make it past the early stages, you get to the middle stages and the late stages of your business, you probably have amassed some wealth. At that point in time, you could actually, and, and view your life as a foundation, you have a foundation and a house built and it's probably pretty solid if you've been wise. Now you can go outside your house and explore the more adventurous sides of things. Let's mm -hmm. call this speculation. So the to the moon that you mentioned, Colin, which is a big phrase, is not a, that's not a new phrase. Like moonshots have been a thing that venture capitalists mm -hmm. have talked about forever. And, and in fact, it goes much, much back, you know, further much than that. Um, but in general, when you reach a point of stable wealth, let's call it, uh, that's typically when you start taking your moonshots, which tends to be 10% or less of your portfolio. Now, something reverse happens in, tr in truth as well when you're young. 18 to 25, uh, $100 doesn't feel like a lot of money, even if it's the only amount of money you have. You, yep. know, you mentioned your bar money, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't go to the bar. Your life is not over when that happens. You know, my firm, we tend to deal with clients that have more than a million dollars. And I can tell you that when you start to amass real wealth, how you view your wealth is way different. Yes. The swings are <laughs> different. Because now, if your million dollars goes down 30%, you just lost 300 grand. <laughs> and although 30% is still 30%, you know, if he loses his, his Dogecoin and it goes down 30%, okay, great, now he's got like, you know, $4, yeah, right. <laughs> but he's $300,000, right? So there's a lot of things that go on when you talk about kind of what this looks like. But when it comes to crypto, 
I think the answer to the original question is should you invest in it? If you're a trader, consider investing in it. But if you're a trader, have a strategy. Mm, so again, I talked a lot goals. about my human behavior portfolio, right? So for me, I have an algorithm that we use. An algorithm is so misunderstood nowadays. All an algorithm is is somebody has a set of rules they use to trade with and they just put it into an algorithm so it can automate their buying signals. That's it. I could do it myself manually and waste 20 minutes or I could have a computer do it for me. That's every algorithm that pretty much exists, right? So step one, it's just a set of rules. It's not some magical wizard that's figuring out what to do. Really? And two, Damn, I thought that's yeah. what it was. I know, right? <laughs> and two, two so, so you know, we can use that. I can use that on crypto, but the bottom line is Tulip Mania, I'm gonna go back to it. Was Tulip Mania a good buy at $100,000? Sure was, because it went up to $750,000. <laughs> so if you had a system that you feel like is gonna get you out, at anything greater than 100,000, then fine, do it. The odds of that are small. But what I'm saying is this, like people ask that question saying, what's the future value of Bitcoin? <laughs> well, the scary reality is like, Bitcoin is not gold. Gold has tons of value beyond just being a currency. Gold is used in all sorts of things. Manufacturing processes, it's used in all sorts of things you probably have no idea gold is used in. Just Google it, uses for gold. It's not just something that sits in your freezer in ice cubes if you're afraid of the world ending. Um, Silver has even more uses. There's a reason why these metals have uses. Bitcoin has no use of I any kind I have to right push now. back on you though. Right, hold on, hold on. Okay, I will. Bitcoin has no use of any kind right now other than, hey, I think it's worth more in the future, so I'll buy it and sell it to this guy, right? Um, I think blockchain, it had, blockchain has tremendous use, and I think the idea of a decentralized currency is remarkable, I love it. Again, I'm about freedom, I don't like fiat currencies, I don't like governments printing money. That idea is great, but Bitcoin, it's limited in transaction volume. It's really hard to exchange, as you mentioned. How Bitcoin holds a lot of value is gonna ask yourself this one question. Gold as a currency, go look at the chart on gold as a currency, and you tell me what gold is worth and how much it's skyrocketed to the moon. Gold's been a currency for a thousand or two thousand years. There's no case for gold being worth like a jillion dollars. It stays with grind. currency by definition is stability. Mm -hmm. So the argument I'm sure that you might make is that well, Bitcoin's going to reach five hundred thousand dollars and become stable. To which I would say, what value does Bitcoin have? And why wouldn't some other coin potentially come in that's much easier to transact and much faster that just crashes Bitcoin? I don't know, I don't have the answers to these questions. But I think like you mentioned, if you're getting into all these things, acknowledge that you nor anyone else have any idea what's happening with any crypto. And ideally, yes, limit yourself to some amount of your money. And if you look, if you're young and you're single, and it doesn't matter if you lose all your money, yeah. go for the moon all the time. But eventually when you get a stable, when you get a stable, when you get a stable job. Rocket man. Yeah, like jumping on a yeah right? Side. Just launch, you know? But when you, when you get a stable job, you need to start saving 10% of your gross income in actual long-term investing so that you can provide for yourself in the future. And anything above that, you can do whatever you want with. But make sure that you get that down seriously. Don't, don't gamble with you know, your future down the road. Again, if you're 20, you think, oh, my future is so far away. Um, you know, it's not that far away, especially if you start losing all your money trading all the time. And then perhaps lastly, as, as a number on trading, you know, he's trading and he's talked about it. This is very well studied. 20% of traders, 20% of traders make a positive return. That sounds pretty good. 3% make enough return, make enough return to make more than minimum wage. 3% of day traders when they trade for more than a year. It's not 10 years, not 20 years, one year. So he's killing it, right? So 1%, 1% make more than $300 a week. Do the math on that. You're like a regular job at best, right? Part-time. And one-tenth of 1% are profitable at that job. And if they trade longer than 10 years, they lose everything. That's the harsh reality on day trading. 
So if you think you're going to be the next get great day trader, the best day traders you hear about, they all got out. They all stopped day trading. They made a ton of money and they got out. market themselves. And, and then there you go. Yeah. And the so that takes me all the way back to Bitcoin. If, if you bought a tulip at $220,000 and you sold it at $700,000, that was a great move. Gosh, I and the whole market was right? <laughs> The whole market was stupid. So you can make money in things that aren't actually good long-term markets. So I'm just you know encapsulating all of these things. You could think that Bitcoin's not going to last, and you could also make a ton of money on it. That's a trade versus an investment. Exactly. Too. Correct. So like I'm trading Bitcoin. I'm trading options. I'm not. I actually am very remit. Like I have almost no investments. I have my Roth IRA. The small amount of small return. I need to actually up that side of my things. Most of my stuff is trading. And I think that that's an important distinction for people to make too. Trading is a completely different thing than investing. Absolutely. And mm. I would argue personally, I think investing is actually more important. I just happen to be heavier on trading in my particular. It's not as much fun now. though. <laughs> it's definitely not as much fun. Uh, it, it'll keep you. It'll keep you up at night. It's, it's more fun later. It's more fun later in life when you actually get to play with that money. Exactly. Because when you own that seven hundred thousand exactly. dollar tulip and it goes crashing down. Trust me, it's not a fun feeling. Yeah, I do. I do want to push back on the Bitcoin thing real quick because, and some of this is big. This is this is very present day. Let's put it this way: because Bitcoin can absolutely. I'm actually counting on Bitcoin being replaced eventually. To be honest with you, but for the time being, it's the brand, right? It's the first. It's the MySpace of social media, right? Or of cryptocurrency, like. Eventually, I do think a, a Facebook and a TikTok and an Instagram will come along and kind of replace it, but it's setting the foundation for you know what will eventually be what I think is very important because this is the value that cryptocurrency, I guess in general, does have, right? And, and one that is like a Bitcoin that is dedicated to be a currency. And that's the fact that it is totally decided by the free market. Now, yes, it is unstable right now, probably need about a $5 trillion market cap to be able to be considered. And I think at that point, I don't remember, somewhere around 250,000 to 300,000 of Bitcoin at that point to reach that area. So about 5 trillion is when you can't have what they call whales, um, which are people who on large wallets, fun fact, the US government has one of the largest wallets in Bitcoin. A lot of people don't realize that. But um, the once you get to that point where it is more stable, I guess you could say, Look at Venezuela, right? Their currency has is has less value than toilet paper, and I mean that in the most legitimate of uh, in the most you know realistic of things. Like if you could give somebody a roll of two ply, <laughs> it's worth more than a thousand dollar bill over there. So that is when you have countries, Africa, certain certain uh, places in Africa, to where it's incredibly unstable over there. The governments, the average you know person is 35 years old or 30 years old or something like that, incredibly young because they're still dying very uh, at very young ages. You have Venezuelas where very corrupt governments are taking, I mean, the, the two main things in Venezuela, just so people know, two main exports, oil and gold, why in the world is their currency worth nothing, right? Corrupt governments. That's what, that's the problem. That's, people ruined it, right? <laughs> so to be able to remove all of that, there is a safety that we've never really been able to have before because as long as you have electricity and a network, then you have the capabilities to be able to bypass everything and still be able to operate and manage. So 
that's where I would say the intrinsic value is coming from. And in a day and age to where global markets are just complicating, you know, they used to say, who cares about the price of tea in China, right? Well, now it doesn't really matter what you do. You have to care about the price of tea in China because it almost has an effect on any global market. So things are becoming with globalization so complicated. The simplicity of just what do we all agree this is worth this computer code, essentially, that has intrinsic value, I think, nowadays. Is it, is it useful like gold or silver, which we can put in phones or anything else? No, absolutely not. But that's where I would just be my only argument is right now, Bitcoin is that currency. That's that safety layer from your government's currency, fiat currency crashing. And in the future, I do think it could be something else. But for right now, you know, that's the horse that we're riding in. On. Right. And that's the trading versus investing, right? If someone were to ask me, should I invest in Bitcoin and not look at it for 30 years? No. Don't do that. The odds are great that Bitcoin goes away and maybe some other coin right. like we're talking about does it. But Bitcoin, if you just look at it, it's hard to think that Bitcoin becomes the future currency or the future gold. It swings too much. How and, could you possibly? Yeah. And just in general, it's, it's, so, it's got technological it's so, limitations. Yes, as well. that's the real that's kicker the is problem. you open the hood and say it really can't ever get there. So but that's fine because it's 1.0. It's version 1.0 yeah, and exactly. version 4 or 5.0 goes by and someone creates a coin that might work. And the idea and this is what we're getting at, right? If I could invest directly into the idea of decentralized currency and there was a clear, obvious choice for that, I would do it. But right now there isn't one. That's what we're trying to say. It's a frontier market. That idea is amazing. Blockchain is definitely gonna change how banks and people handle transactions if governments allow it to happen at some point. Those are big questions. But yeah, if you're thinking Bitcoin's an investment where you're gonna put your money and not look at it for 40 years, that's different. And then this ties everything kind of nicely together. We talked about owning individual stocks versus owning an index fund. If you put your money in the S&P 500, that's actually an ever-changing investment. Mm -hmm. So you're investing in the ingenuity of people and companies into the future, but you are not investing in one company or one idea. And the S&P 500 is not the same 500 companies 20 years from now that it is right now. Right. Tesla I mean, got added this correct. year. Correct. And that's well, why December, it's so dynamic. If you hold one company, you are at the one of that one company. Mm -hmm. If it fails, you fail. And that's what we talked about with individual stock ownership, et cetera. So when people say, get an investment and don't look at it, oftentimes that gets applied to things that are not things that you should not be looking at. Mm -hmm. And if you wanna own Bitcoin, you should be looking at it because there's a certain point where you are going to need to exit that position because in all likelihood, at some point, we don't know when, it's probably not going to be the flagship bearer right. forever. And that's kind of what we're saying. Some people think that the Winklevoss twins are all in. They've made you know billions of dollars off of it, right? Yep. Yep. But at some point, they'll probably exit too, uh, or they'll be sad. Um, yep. So you know, there's there's a lot in here. But yes, trading versus investing might be the best thing we've we've kind of granulized today to really cement the differences Absolutely. in your mind. It's called unrealized profit for a reason. Because <laughs> until you pull it out and turn it into cash or whatever your currency is. It is unrealized. Or a material good. Yeah. Well, real I mean, estate and I, or whatever. I was very much surprised by the fact that I, I didn't realize how many different cryptocurrencies there were. No, there's so many. Oh, you know, like, like you hear like everybody or, talking about yeah. Bitcoin and stuff. Yeah. And so like I was like, all right, let me download this Coinbase or whatever it is. And is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Coinbase. And just just quick plug for that. I'm going to let you finish what you're saying. If you are trading crypto at all, you need to use Coinbase because it's the only one that's American based that 
they only allow cryptocurrencies that have a legitimate use case that they have a lot of specific criteria. That's why you can't get Dogecoin on there. That's why you can't get all these other no ones because XRP. you can't get XRP because they broke <laughs> some rules. And, and that was that was tough for a lot of people. But there's legitimate reasons behind it because XRP was trying to replace Bitcoin. But there's some flaws in their operating model that they're going to have to rectify. So if you do want to do it, the safest way to do it is Coinbase right now. Don't Binance and all these other ones. Yeah, but their fees. So that's the thing. It's so interesting that you say that because, like, I get in there and I like read these chats and stuff like that. And a lot of people are like, "Oh, dude, Coinbase is like for the beginners. The fees are outrageous. Get get the other ones, right? Like that. That's that's a lot of what's happening in the chat. But you're saying that's like not some of these other ones, like Binance. You know, for instance, is a very popular one uh, that you can do. They had to split off because they were hosted out of China. Well, China shut down some exchanges and some of the exchanges in China got hacked and people lost their entire wallets and all their money. They got hacked so, last week and had some vulgar stuff. Oh, so, okay, so there you go. So the, Vulgar, uh, like they had bad words for the coin. Oh, names. really? Okay. So it was like, whoa. That so, was, to me, that was an eye-opener because it's like, well, they just oh, got damn. hacked. So that's the thing. Coinbase is American-based, American-hosted, the most secure, and they have the best criteria out there right now um, and you better believe I'll be investing in that IPO whenever it comes. <laughs> and so, then also they provide a 1099 MISC, so it's on the yes. up and up with your taxes. So if you're trying to avoid all that and do things shady-like, <laughs> you're gonna go to you know, go Binance, the VPN, all those things, but I don't recommend that. I think yep. staying on the up and up gets you a lot better because when you do get audited and they say, well, what's this giant cash transfer from Binance? They know what the giant cash transfer from Binance is. So. If you uh, you either pay the taxes now on your Coinbase account, or you'll pay them when they come get you, along with some fines. Okay, can I jump back a little bit into like, you know, where you're going with Bitcoin and what uh, Ethereum? Okay, mm-hmm. and how you're saying one's like the car, one's like the roads and stuff. Like, I hope I'm doing this on behalf of the audience and not sounding like the idiot in the room, which I'm perfectly okay with. <laughs> um, but. I hear all these terms like needing gas and mining, and like, <laughs> like I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what, what the hell are these people talking about? Yeah, like, you know, a lot I, of those, I, a lot of those terms are just very specific to whatever the the specific, uh, uh, you know, crypto is. So it's in relation to that, like needing gas, you wouldn't say that on something like like Bitcoin, but then mining, you know, it's different. So mining is probably the most common one people will run across just as to give you an example. There's only, I think it's 88 million Bitcoin that will ever be available. I think as of right now, I don't remember the exact number, it's like 78 million or, you know, it, it, it's 80, 85% or something like that. Supply is reducing. Currently available. released. And lifetime it, supplies. Right, and it's gonna take like 100 years before it's completely released. Well, one of the things is, how do we get more Bitcoin? Bitcoin is unlocked by doing very complex mathematical problems. So when people have mining machines, and this is something to where, uh, believe it or not, it's an environmental issue, because what is happening is that this, the computing power that we have right now to do these mathematical problems, and they get more complex as we get closer, you know, to the the final amount, right? So these mathematical problems is the key to unlock one Bitcoin or or a, or a portion of a Bitcoin. So people will get these computers and they will run them night and day and it will get them little bits of Bitcoin here and there and it will mine it for them. So 
just like in the little terms, you think of somebody like mining for iron ore, whatever the case is, that's what it's doing, but with computer code. Well, the electricity, the most recent statistic I saw was last year, the electricity that is being used on a 24 seven basis to mine Bitcoin right now could power the entire country of Ireland. And that was last year and it's got more complex since then. So it's even greater. So just to mine Bitcoin, we could be powering all of Ireland right now. So that is where another problem with Bitcoin comes in later on of how sustainable is it for us to even do that. Now, there's a lot of things that could change that. You have quantum computing that's coming down the road that will up the computing power of uh, computers by uh, you know thousands of degrees compared to what we're doing now. It's unbelievable. It's game changing technology, but it will make every whoever gets the first quantum computer will essentially nullify every security measure on every existing platform that we have right now. It's unbelievable. So stuff like that could change it, right? There's a lot of crazy technology stuff that's coming down the road. But when they're talking about things like mining, that's what they're referring to is the mathematical computations to unlock the cryptocurrency. Sorry if that was a lot. Do you get lot. this stuff? I'm learning. There's whole, <laughs> so there's whole warehouse. Like, why is the Bitcoin even locked up to begin with? So there's, you there's know, like whole, a, it's just like the Federal the Reserve, right? We don't print all the money we could ever print. Yeah. We release cash, and that's why we control inflation slowly. Okay. Right? We don't just well, say, usually, hey. Well, yeah, thing. usually. Yeah, <laughs> it depends yeah. on who's in charge. <laughs> right now, we've been printing I guess, money. Yeah, I've just been trying like, to like, wrap my head Hamilton around. That's how Mr. Hamilton intended it, I think. So. I, I don't know. I've, been, I've, always, I've always tried to wrap my head around that part. There's something there that's still like I'm not understanding. Like I like I hear what, like everything that you just said, and I'm like, yeah. Well, like, isn't it completing tasks on the blockchain? Is, is that what it is? Uh, the actual mining? I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't know if it's completing the task on the blockchain or, or contributing or to the blockchain. Maybe contributing to yeah. it. I, I wouldn't know the exact vernacular. I'm not that technical with it, but that's roughly the direction that we're going with. Yeah, it. there's a ledger of every coin mined. Yeah. Yes. On yeah. blockchain. But so say, you can I think that's what the act of mining is, though, is, yeah. is contributing because that's yeah. the way to get everything. It's unlocked. That's the way to create the blockchain. The right, yes. right. And that was like the idea. So, like, gold issues with gold are, right? Countries once upon, upon a time tried to accumulate all this gold. Fort Knox here in America, for example, to try to control the supply and manipulate money. So again, this is not a not a new thing. Bitcoin's good. elegant solution to that was, as you mentioned, was to slowly release it, uh, but also to just make it something that you could not, by definition, actually just gather up entirely on your own. Nobody could just go get all the Bitcoin supply and blockchain shows you who did it. So if somebody tried mm -hmm. to do something that wasn't up to snuff, you would know immediately. Hey, look at that. That's really weird. Uh, which is amazing, obviously. Yeah, for the, a lot the of transparency reasons. is incredible. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a world where we required all politicians to put their investments on a blockchain and we could know exactly who is investing in what? That would be pretty interesting. But there's things I don't get, Colin. Like, I feel like I'm living in some weird sci-fi movie right now. <laughs> hey, me too, man. Like, I it's weird, man. Like, I read a week ago that uh, a piece of digital land, virtual land, sold for $1.6 million. What does that mean? Was you can you can read this. Google, it, yeah, it? it's on something like Axie, A-X-I-E, Games. I, mean, I don't understand it. I read the article three times. Someone named Flying Falcon purchased the $1.6 million plot of virtual that's, land. And I don't was think very, that's a Christian name. Yeah, very, <laughs> very excited. But you read the article and you're just thinking, this is this is crazy. Like this is, if a movie had this, it's usernames and, and, and virtual land plots created on games and digital art 
non-real yep. things you can touch, non-fungible tokens. Have you heard about these things? Yep. Selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars, like a five second video of something that's original it's, and authentic is, I mean, it's hard, it's really, it really is hard to like keep up with all the things that are happening and it's either gonna be like yeah, 30 sure. years from now the whole world is like this and we're a bunch of people sitting around here saying maybe he gets it and we're all like, dude, I don't know what world we live in anymore. I like walk outside and I see real things and everyone else is you know, stuck somewhere else. But it's really crazy, but I think at the end of the day, humans derive value from all sorts of things, mm -hmm. right? That's the key. And what gives something value is because people think it's valuable. Perception. And that's an important thing to notice. Although things are tangible, we can touch them. Plenty of intangible things have value that people will pay for. So don't get too stuck thinking, I don't get it, it's not worth value. But also, it's okay to admit that like, I don't, I don't really understand all yeah, of what the I, heck is going on. Yeah. That's why I'm just like willing to put myself out there and be like, I, I'm okay to be the idiot in the room because I, I've really just started like trying to dive into more of this and just learning, especially with, you know, I don't know, all the talk and all the stuff that's happened with Robin Hood and everything else over the last, you know, couple of months here. It's just been like, all right, like I'm actually like, I'm interested, but let me ed try to educate myself as much as I can. And that's why I like even doing this at the risk of sounding like a fool and be like, well, why are the coins even locked up? Why is there only 88 million of them or whatever you said? Like, why, like, why, why? You know, I'm like, why? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And so just, and uh, who's audience, the founder of Bitcoin? Who invented it? Yeah, I don't so, know. Satoshi. No, no one can ago. know who this person is. Which we don't even know if it's a person or if it's a group. It's awesome that there is. Like, <laughs> but then, like I, even I read, mean, who is this? Dude, I even read something like some guy like, and I didn't understand this. Some guy had his Bitcoin like locked up somewhere. Mm -hmm. I, like I didn't even really understand what that because I'm like here I am here I am like yeah. yeah so here I am like trading Bitcoin I'm like wallet. like I don't really understand what this means this guy has it locked up and it's like he's got like two more password attempts before he loses mm -hmm. it all or something I'm like what does that even mean I don't you know yeah that that's just part of the security right and we have you know it, it's gotten better as time has gone on and there's a lot of easier ways to get access to it but basically he had it locked on a hard drive so if you think the hard drive has his digital wallet on there. Uh, he got it. He doesn't remember his password. He has two chances to get back in. He's locked out forever. I think it was 280 million uh, at the existing value. So uh, yeah, don't uh, don't lose that wallet. Everybody. He's really gonna want that <laughs> quantum computer. Huh? Yeah, he's really gonna want it. <laughs> Save those two chances. Yeah, I was uh, I was reading something. I think it was the last week of the week before, but after the whole Tesla Bitcoin and it came for that in a month of holding Bitcoin, they've made more money than they have in the 14 years of selling cars. In Tesla, one month, they bought that Tesla. They bought one, one and, and a half million, How one and a half billion, billion. one and a half yeah. billion Tesla dollars of. Yeah, that they yes. profited more Tesla from holding that for a month. Seven hundred twenty-five million dollars last year and their Bitcoin investment has already made them $750 million. Something yeah. like that. So, I mean, just real quick to put it. I just wish I had to, a one to, and a half billion dollars yeah, to just go buy some the, Bitcoin, you know? Think about, think Should about. Should have bought it back in 2009, <laughs> Elon. I mean, really what we're talking about, again, <laughs> just goes to the point of, of value, right? Like uh, maybe something a little bit easier to understand than a digital island, you know, like you said, is is a, um, a URL. Right? How much could, if you own Google.com? I mean, how how much is Google.com worth? Right? You know, it, there's all these different things. It anything.com nowadays is harder and harder to get because there's not that much. Well, what is that? That's digital re real estate. Mm -hmm. It's there's value in it because it'll help from a search functionality perspective to a degree. You know, but. There's also the factor of like, well, don't you just feel like when something says .com versus .co, it's more legitimate? It's not. 
but we feel that way mm-hmm. and therefore there's more value in a dot com right now than a dot co yeah. it's perception what about the pokemon cards right now they've got holographic charizards that are you know grade 10 or whatever i don't even uh, psa 10 and all these other things i've been reading about them they're going for three hundred thousand dollars or more it's a pokemon card i probably traded with that thing i love charizard when i was a kid <laughs> so i mean who knows but it's it, why is that it's just supply and demand and what people want like who cares about you know somebody may not care about the Mona Lisa, even though we consider her priceless. Well, why don't we consider that? You know, there's all these things that go into it, but that's what's really becoming interesting on the digital stage is that we are starting now to see that people are taking this digital intellectual property and we're starting to see crazy valuations for it. If you look at performing assets, art, physical art, has actually outperformed a lot of traditional investments over the past 10 Mm -hmm. years. So just paintings of local artists uh, artists and different things like that, it always helps if they die because they can't make more. So sucks to be an artist. It, your stuff doesn't really become <laughs> yes. worth much until you're dead. But, uh, you know, it's that's what we're starting to see is we are now creeping into the world of digital investing. And it is just a classic supply and demand. And what will somebody pay for it? That's what it's worth. It's crazy. It's a fun time. I love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> one way to describe it. Uh, Mike, you have anything over there, man? Yeah, I got a. I wanted to ask, like, back on the Robin Hood topic, is there any legitimate recourse for anybody that feels like they? I mean, you used the word fraud. Like, and, and there are there are class action lawsuits that are that are mounting against it. Like, is there any legitimate recourse, and, and what what might that look like? $10 check once you sign your name on the class action lawsuit, yeah. Right, is that, is that, I mean. I mean, that's like most other class action lawsuits, that's what, I'm not an expert, right, but I mean, I can't imagine that any of the probably like, well, millions of people, of people on Robinhood that lost money or were affected by this are in a position to really take a stand individually against these sort of people. Right. They, the class was, action, yeah, I mean, $10. They need to rebrand to the sheriff of Nottingham, in my opinion, <laughs> <Right>. because unfortunately, <laughs> right. they're... That would be epic, actually. I, look, I hate, to, embraced it. I hate yeah. to say it. That's I hate to sheriff. say it, but they're going to win. They're absolutely oh, yeah. going to win. Yeah, yeah. Their IPO is going to go nuts. Their IPO is going to go nuts. Even if they lost half of the accounts that have signed up just this year, they've still 3x, 4x their user base. Mm-hmm. And not enough people are going to care because they've got a fancy, like I use E-Trade. E-Trade is great. One thing E-Trade sucks with is their user interface, right? <laughs> Robinhood's is clean, it feels trendy, it's cool, yep. like all this simple other stuff. Too. It's, simple. it's simple. E-Trade has a, a ton of, a of great tools, great analyst research, all this other stuff, but it's clunky. It's not sexy. And just for that reason alone, Robinhood will keep the majority of their user base and end up winning this. I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah, none of us are attorneys here, but from what I understand, there's nothing that anyone can do criminally Mm -hmm. against Robinhood because they didn't do anything criminally. Right. That's probably a good place to start. That's true. Like as frustrated as people are, they did not actually do anything criminally. Uh, You know, what's a good definition of doing something criminal? Harming someone's property. Like if I punch you in the face, that can be criminal. If I steal your stuff, that can be criminal. 
by Robinhood limiting people's access, they didn't take any of the existing property they had. Mm -hmm. That would have been criminal. They didn't take money out of accounts. They didn't do those kind of things. Even the pre-existing market orders, you know, that's like you put it to go order into your restaurant and then they call you back five minutes later and say, ha ha, just kidding, we're closing early. Yeah, we're out of wings. Right, so they, yep. can, they can do great that. Point. And so that's frustrating and it's not great business, but that's where the civil side comes in, which we're mm -hmm. talking about now, is you can file whatever you want. I don't really know that they have a great case against it because look, brokerage firms, they people don't understand this either. They are a middleman. They, they all purchase the shares first. They have an account on their own, which allows them to move the money quickly. Everybody has this, even the huge ones like Charles Schwab, Fidelity. So ultimately, if they, if they limit your trading access, that's within their rights to do so. Is it good business? Probably not. Does it look really bad based upon who their main investors were? Yes. Are they gonna be able to win a civil suit? I'm not a lawyer, I don't know. Even if they had all the money in the world, I don't know that they would. It's mm -hmm. hard for them to make a really good case that what they did was actually harmful to existing property besides just limiting some access temporarily, which, you know, that's tricky. And again, yeah. you could have taken your stuff out mm -hmm. and gone somewhere else and invested within that two-day window. Nothing was stopping you. So that would be something they could have done. You can't mm -hmm. take your money out. Okay, now we got issues. So I don't I don't know. I'm not an attorney, but I think that's gonna be really tricky for other reasons beyond just the fact that you know, the little guys don't have money. The uh, the other thing that I think people forget, and, and just because it's been such a new thing, like with the GameStop and AMC thing, that there's been such a huge influx, and even the pandemic, like the last year, a lot of people have gotten into investing. But this is not the first time that Robinhood has had issues in this capacity or something. Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of the pandemic last year, before people were really into it, but there was like the triple circuit breaker day. There was like one day where it's literally just, we're to the core of the earth, SPY was going, you know, on a mission for the core. Um, and for the first probably three- it's a good day to buy, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But for the first like three hours of the day or something, like Robinhood was just not functional. So you can imagine the amount of people trying to put in orders and everything. And then, you know, the year before this happened too. So pretty much like once a year, if you're really watching Robinhood, something like this happens. It's not just Robinhood. I'm on TD Ameritrade mm -hmm. and the the morning, the the real crazy morning of yeah. GameStop, nothing worked. It cost yeah. me thousands actually because I actually still had a good day. I wasn't yeah. in GameStop, but I was trying to sell positions at the open yeah. that I had nope. swung overnight and I could not execute an order. The whole app yep. was lagging and I put in I put in a customer service chat thing and they're like, yes, everything's bogged down this morning. And later on, as I kind of saw what was developing with GameStop, mm -hmm. I just don't believe that it was yep. just like the servers were overwhelmed. I'm positive at some level, somebody was accidentally slowing some servers down. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like, and there's no way to prove that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they covered it up well, but Anytime, I've noticed it too, anytime there's crazy, like overwhelming volatility, uh -huh. the market makers do weird stuff in the background. They've always done weird stuff. Like you, I think you said earlier, like there's always been market manipulation. The thing, the GameStop phenomenon was just that it was retail traders manipulating instead and of isn't that the, problem, the other though, side. That, that, oh, that was totally the problem. They'll yeah. step in and, and interfere with the retail manipulation but they don't seem to step in whenever it's being manipulated the other way. Yeah, but th that doesn't work anywhere in society. Like when is the government ever like, hey, little guys, let me help you out. No, same with the bailouts, everything else. So for me, it's like you have to understand the game you're playing. Yes. The game you're playing is rigged against you. So that's also why it's important to take your profits off the table quickly. Mm -hmm. So when you have a great day, you don't go, oh, what if this goes higher if you're trading? If you're investing, that's a different story. You, you know, you go, okay, I'll, you know, maybe I take some sure. off, maybe I leave it. But if you're trading, you go, hey, I just had a great day. I'm taking it. 
and running, and I'm not going to worry about where it went. And just don't even look the rest of the week. Honestly, it's like if you have a great Tuesday, a great Wednesday, just you're going to make bad decisions. Don't look at that ticker again, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for right. sure. Because like, all you'll do is be like, I should have. I should have. And that's the worst thing you can possibly And, and historically, say. to that point, again, like I love what Thomas Sowell says, that there's only trade-offs. There's no perfect answer when you talk about systems. But like we talked about, the system is rigged against us, et cetera, et cetera. Oftentimes, people advocate for more socialism or more government intervention. But that's precisely the wrong medicine. Right. That just makes it worse. Like if you think that advocating for a big government is going to make things more fair, history will tell you a decidedly different answer. Yes. You should be advocating for more freedom, uh, and therefore what would happen? Well, these too big to fail, a term that governments make up, it's not true in the free market, companies should fail. Mm-hmm. And what happens if they don't is they have a huge moral hazard, right? I work in the investment world, and to go back to the OA crisis, what happened was companies like Goldman Sachs, on one hand, would sell their clients one thing, and on the other hand, they'd buy different stuff. Now, you can do that if you want. They should have gone bankrupt. The reason they didn't was because they got backstopped by the government because the government said, you know what? This junk's too big to fail. So what happens is we should accept short-term pain, sometimes significant pain, to root out bad ideas, bad actors, bad situations. Instead, we're in a a country where we backstop the people that did not handle things correctly. Mm -hmm. There were plenty of banks that handled things really well in 07, 08, 09. They should be the big banks now, but they're not because we protected all the ones who did stupid stuff. The airlines are notorious for this stuff. It's one of the reasons why they don't make quick changes. So I agree with the sentiment that like, yeah, you know, in any, in any place you're in, that the little guy with less influence is gonna have a harder time, but you can become the big guy in a country that's more free because you do have a lot more freedom and choice to amass wealth, do mm-hmm. things, become an influencer. Um, so I wanna make that, that point to the side. There's a lot of, I think, like, well-intentioned but incorrectly placed frustration at the feet of like, if we just have more rules and more government and more people overseeing things, it'll get better. But again, history teaches us hard lessons there. That may feel right, but that's not what typically winds up being right if we're frustrated you know, with those I things. I don't need the people who came up with our existing educational system and the DMV to be in charge <laughs> of the free market. Yeah, okay. right. <laughs> Well, the other thing is, so from the government's perspective, who's is in their best interest to protect us retail traders who are mostly losing money and writing it off on our taxes, as the statistics showed before, or Goldman Sachs, who I'm sure has quite a tax bill and all their all their you know portfolio managers, everybody else has quite big tax bills. So even just from a like self-interest standpoint, I feel like it's it's kind of cut and dry who the government would want to protect. Not even from like a nefarious standpoint, just from a like, hey, we need to protect our income here. Let's protect our cash cow versus the people can go, you know? And I'm not saying that's right. Clearly that's not a great thing, but I think it's also reality. Yeah. That's well said. Actually, a lot of times like the, we dream up these really nefarious conspiracy theory stories <laughs> that people are like elegantly doing. People are not that that cohesively wise, it's really hard to like do really elaborate schemes that no one finds out about. It's much right. more of what you just said. It's protecting your own interest. Why do politicians you know, vote for certain things? Well, oftentimes because their biggest donors are telling them to vote for those mm-hmm. things. It's not because they cooked up some five-year plan to take over the world. It's really more of like, well, this person keeps me in office and I want to stay in office because I wind up getting a salary and take care of my family to do it. And, and that's one of the reasons why the free market does work. Another big philosophical takeaway here is Elon Musk didn't get rich by taking money out of your pocket. Um, Jeff Bezos did not get rich by taking money out of your pocket. It's not a zero sum game. There's not a fixed amount of wealth that they're stealing from you. They created something that actually added new wealth to mm-hmm. our society. 
And that's really important too because a lot of times people look at it and think, well, if Jeff Bezos got that rich, he stole it from someone else. Not in a free country. Right. Not in a free market, especially. That's definitely true if you look at Russia. Mm-hmm. Russia yeah. became a free country mm-hmm. in the 80s, right? And they had all these oligarchs that came through and their oil czars. That was like the last ditch political favors of the Soviet Union. Hey, here you go, you're gonna run all the oil industry now. That junk was incredibly fraudulent. Mm-hmm. But that's not happening again in a free market. So just good to keep in mind, there's a lot of proper frustration out there, but I am concerned to a certain extent that it's gonna get directed into some really, really, you know, poor directions we don't want to go in um, that's going to make things potentially much worse you know down the road and people are going to think oh my gosh what was i thinking i had the right idea maybe the wrong execution capital my first thought was oh they're going to regulate it more (laughs) you know it's like they say capitalism is the worst government system out there outside of all the other ones (laughs) it's not perfect we got stuff to do but uh i know we're wrapping up here but one thing i would just love that this is Somebody told me this, and it's proven to be one of my favorite quotes, and it because it just continues to become more and more true the, in more and more situations when I think about it. And that is, the answer to all your questions is money. <laughs> Let that one sit. It's going to hit you multiple times over the head over the next week, I promise you. The answer to all your questions is money. What if I have a question about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's money. money. <laughs> Oh, we, yeah, we just hit the two-hour mark. I know we got to wrap up. So uh, why don't we go around the table and say uh, where our audience can conduct with each of you. Uh, maybe pick your brain, ask you a question, ask yeah. about something they heard. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I'm not a financial advisor, so <laughs> financial advice my way. Leave it at the door. I have nothing to give outside of this podcast. Um, but make sure you check us out. Like I said, Alex Montero from GNV Entertainment and Empower Media. So it's GNV Entertainment on Instagram and Empower Media GNV on Instagram as well. Um, coming out with a lot of cool things over the next couple months so make sure you guys check it out awesome sweet Sweet. yeah i'm james d virgilio if you google my last name and get it even remotely close (laughs) nowadays you'll find me you could be way (laughs) wrong spelling it it'll still pop up uh you can find my firm's website cddwealth.com you can send me an email which is there on the website Uh, i try not to use twitter instant other stuff to just keep my life nice and peaceful and mentally free so hit me up the old school way with with email Uh, that's that's the best way to go If you Google my name, you might get a little bit of me, but you're probably going to get, I think it's an old Steelers linebacker who died a few <laughs> years ago. So, oh. <laughs> but, uh, but outside of that, you can get me uh, www.everything.money. Uh, no.com on that one, so don't worry about it. It's just everything.money. And uh, all my contact information's on there, or you can hook up with me, uh, Stephen with a PH on LinkedIn, all the other social medias. I'm out there. Right and the Stephen Corson show, where you like that's what you talk it, about is money. And the Stephen Corson show, absolutely, it's available anywhere you can download a podcast. Um, you know, go check it out. Uh, just did episode nineteen the other day. Super excited. It's been a ton of fun and uh, got a lot of great feedback on it. And uh, yeah, got uh, there are big plans in the future for a lot more different types of content. I do a lot of stuff on um, you know, it's not just traditional trading money or different things like that. It's financial foundation, it's time management, it's a lot of other things. It's more about wealth than it is about getting rich. Awesome. Cool. I'm gonna check that out, that sounds good. Uh, you can find me, I am the cheerful sound man on Instagram uh, or bunt backline, bunt like in baseball. Yeah. Um, that's about it. I don't, I'm also not uh, someone you should be asking financial advice from, <laughs> really. I just. I geek out, it's a hobby, but if you want production advice or like how to make your event or building look better or your corporate meeting or concert, I'm your man. 
Yeah. Not I mean, so much for crypto advice. <laughs> that's what's so great is like, anymore. I really, you know, I wanted to get people who like just do this on the day as like part of their yeah. fun or just what, whatever, you know, and, and then have professionals as well. You know, just having that mix of conversation, I think is super interesting and definitely entertaining. And, uh, and it's definitely, I don't know, you know, everybody who's listening can kind of pick and choose what, what they want to listen to, I guess, you know, but just having a great conversation around it. I got a lot out of it. Yeah, definitely uh, insightful, a lot of especially on the crypto stuff, because I've, I've been asking questions about that for years, so that, that was helpful. But uh, definitely things that aren't, aren't going away anytime soon. I think all of, all of our friends, all of our uh, listeners have probably gotten into this a little bit or at least seen the headlines, so definitely <laughs> valuable content. Hopefully I didn't sound like too much like an idiot, oh, <laughs> not knowing all this Bitcoin stuff, but, but hey, if I did, you're welcome. <laughs> and uh, special thanks to our team that makes the show possible. We got James Leitner who sets up all this amazing lighting, makes us look so good, and just did all the editing on the video stuff. You guys should definitely check out the video podcast if you haven't. I know we get a lot of listeners on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all those good places, but definitely check out the video. It's on YouTube at whoagnv.tv and on Facebook if you do forward slash, what, facebook.com slash uh, WoGNV podcast. And um, of course, thanks to Sarah Lentz and to my co-host, Michael Dees. And podcast fam, if you um, you wanna check out our sponsors, everybody who makes this show possible, definitely go to whoagnv.com slash sponsors. Please support these sponsors. They are the ones that are funding all of this and making this happen so we can continue to highlight great businesses and have very interesting conversations like this one tonight. And of course, when you check out those sponsors, make sure you say, I heard you on the WHOA GNV podcast. The podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. whoa. <laughs> we will see you later. Bye. Whoa.